Greetings, cyberspace, and welcome to episode 178 of the Double Density Podcast with your host, Brian and Angelo. Double Density is your home to tech tales and paranormal primers. Now, first things first, Angelo, um, as we agreed previously um, to the start of this episode, I'm just going to shut up for the moment and throw directly to you because, firstly, it is your birthday, so happy birthday. Let's get that pleasantry out of the way. But secondly, you have a preamble of sorts, I guess. I don't have much of a preamble. It's just we were chatting with our friend Casey Liss, and he decided to... uh Put in an appearance. Come back to uh, Double Density for a, a second uh, go-ahead and uh, just to let us know how much better Montreal bagels are. <laughs> the, the, yeah, and then he's going to hang up um, You know, quickly. the thing is, the thing is, I genuinely was doing the math in my head. I don't think Zoom has like any sort of call disconnect sound. So <laughs> if I were to hang up, the comedy moment would have been lost on anyone but the two of you. I'll add it in post. Yeah, right. Uh, now, Montreal bagels are... A thing. Uh, Montreal bagels are very tasty. They are not the canonical bagel. They are the bastard child of donuts and bagels, which is delicious and has a place, but it is not a canonical bagel. And it was very kind of you to you, the two of y'all, to send me a butt ton of bagels. Like <laughs> I forget how well, many okay. dozen bagels it was, but it was a lot. So we need to explain this. The only, so uh, when Angela and I looked at chipping um, after we had you on like almost a hundred episodes ago, by the way, we need to talk about that um, in like three sentences or less. I want you to dictate um, the last, the time elapsed this last hundred episodes, like what you've been up to, et cetera. Um, but the, the shipping options were either very meager or very plentiful. And that was the confusing <laughs> thing is you can either like send, like, I remember it was like, either you can send like six or like 30 or something or like whatever multiple of six there was. Right. I think we decided on 48 or something like that. That's yeah, because like it was either right. like 6 yeah. or like 48 or even like 90. I think it was like 96 was like the other option. 96 would have been too much. I, I think that would have been aggressive, even though they are very tasty bagels. Um, but yeah, I, I think you guys had warned me, if I remember right, that something was coming. If I think <laughs> that's correct. And eventually we get this box from Canada and Aaron's looking at me like, what did you buy from Canada? Like, not that there aren't good things in Canada, but <laughs> it's a very syrup. odd choice. So yeah, it's just bottles and bottles of maple syrup. Um, and then I opened it. And I don't, I don't know if I remembered at the, at that particular moment in time, what I should be expecting. And so sure enough, I opened it up and I just started rolling, laughing that there was just, <laughs> what is it? Saint something or other. Is that right? Same eater. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so we enjoyed those bagels for quite a long time. We made, we made them last and, it was quite delicious. It was very kind of you gentlemen to send them. Uh, please don't send them again because I'm sure it cost you an arm and a leg. But uh, but if I ever actually make surprisingly, it, it wasn't it wasn't that bad. Like I, oh, okay. I can't remember what it was, but Angela and I looked it up, and even with the conversion rate, we were just like, this is actually because there's like a service. Th-. Anyways, it's a whole thing. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, needless to say, welcome back, Casey. Thank you for joining us here well, thank on you. Double Density. So yeah, as I asked before, I want you to summarize the last like two and a half years of your life in three sentences or less. Go. Uh, two and a half years of my life in three sentences or less. Uh, I quit my job around that time it might it might have already quit at the time we saw spoke spoke to each other last uh, and then the world ended and now we're trying to crawl back into reality so that's basically there we it. go that's a, that a pretty succinct congrats See? on uh, uh that. doing that it's almost as if you don't talk for a living <laughs> <laughs> yeah well give me time i'm sure i'll screw this up somehow <laughs> summarizer in chief right yeah chief summarizer in chief or something like that i don't know we'll see so uh, we invited John to obsessively talk about like a couple of different things. Um, firstly, like I don't know what's happened in the last couple of weeks. We've gotten more and more listener feedback via both um, the web form on our website as well as like social media. So that's been very interesting. Um, so we uh, the impetus for the discussion tonight is two separate 
uh, messages from uh, listener Joel. So I'm going to talk about that in a sec. But firstly, I'd also like to thank um, uh, Jason for sending in a recommendation for a true crime podcast because he heard us previously talk about our distaste of uh, true crime in general. And actually, the podcast he recommended is all about like stupid criminals doing stupid things. So like no one dies, which is kind of nice. <laughs> um, I very much dislike true crime. So Casey, my first question is like, how do you how do you feel about the subject? You know, I've I've never really gotten into true crime podcasts. Um, you are talking to a man who just finished Squid Game like a week ago or something like that, which is, I think, in the not a, maybe in the spirit or in, in the universe of crime and stuff like that. I don't know if have you guys seen Squid Game yet? Is this? A thing? I watched it. Yeah. Okay. Um, it was fascinating. I I think I liked it. I'm not sure if I liked it, but, um, but no, I don't generally do true crime podcasts. Uh, I did listen to the, I think it was the second season of serial where it was, um, Bo Bergdahl. The army one, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I thought that was good. I never listened to the first season and that's as close as I've really come to true crime podcasts. I'm sure they are interesting, but I don't know, even, pre well it depends on how you define the world ending is it 2016 or 2020 um but, <laughs> it could be layers or steps right yeah exactly so when the world ended the first time back in november of 2016 uh i kind of lost any taste for things that were challenging to watch there were a couple exceptions like um watchmen the tv series the, the you know, tv miniseries was phenomenal that's not true crime at all but it was like a difficult thing to watch particularly the opening of it um and and i really enjoyed that but i wouldn't have even tried like a squid game for example you know a year or two ago and now between the oh the 2016 to 2020 window having been closed mostly thankfully and now that we're starting to get a little bit of a grip with covid ish kind of uh now i feel like i have a little bit of bandwidth or or appetite or or i don't know tolerance for something that doesn't make me unabashedly happy and i think that's why i think it's one of the reasons why like ted lasso did so well is because we all just needed to be happy and like and some of the other um dumb shows that I watched early on in the pandemic, like a lot of just straight garbage TV, like love is Tiger blind. King, maybe uh, Tiger King. I didn't really like it that much. I thought that was all right. Um, but I did watch it. Uh, love is blind was new to me at the time. That's a stupid dating show on Netflix. It's delightfully stupid. Um, shoot. What was the other one? Oh, the circle, which was like a completely contrived, completely contrived, uh, social network, social network. I'm doing huge air quotes here. And it was a TV show around that, which was so stupid. And I loved it. Uh, um, and, and so I, I really leaned heavily into like the dumb but enjoyable media up until really recently. So that's about a trillion words to say, no, I don't actually listen to true crime very often. Thank you for asking. <laughs> it's funny you mentioned that because I recently um, have started crawling back to watching things like horror movies where like mm -hmm, at the beginning mm -hmm. of the pandemic and for the first like, I'd say like 16 up until like maybe like last month, I wasn't entirely comfortable with watching yep. um, as you're saying like overtly happy stuff. And so like I have with the Halloween season have started to dip my toe back into more of that. And I've, I've, I'm not necessarily like finding pleasure in it, but I'm finding entertainment. <laughs> well, something that bridges both uh, sides of this is delightful and true crime is Only Murders in the Building, which is, I think in the US, it's on Hulu, and here in Canada, it's on uh, Disney+. Plus. And it's uh, Steve Martin, Martin Short, and uh, Selena Gomez. Oh, I bet that's very good. It's very good. They're in a building where there's a murder, and they decide to start a true crime podcast about only murders in that building. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's got to be an adventure. Is that supposed to be like a multi-season thing, or is it more like a Watchmen where it's one and done? It ended on a bit of a cliffhanger, so uh, yeah, I, I'm hoping there's another season. Mm -hmm. When my wife and I saw it on Disney+, Plus, we're like, oh, 
maybe we should watch this with the kids. It seems it'll be great for the kids. And then we saw it was this TVMA, and then we watched it, and we're like, this is really not for children at all. <laughs> there is so much swearing, but yep. it's great. Yeah, what was I watching just a week or two ago? It was one of the ones where on Disney Plus they put up the 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 black screen or whatever it is that says in so many words like, "Hey, this is super racist, but we're just going to let you watch it as it was." I forget exactly how they phrased it. <laughs> Golly, what was it? I'm gonna, this is going to drive me nuts. It was like Peter. Pa- it was Peter Pan. That's what it was. It was Peter Pan, and I did not realize how deeply, deeply racist that movie is. Like preposterously racist. And so we're sitting there watching it with the kids. We're showing them for the first time. And I'm thinking of this as like homework so we can watch uh, Hook together, which I am a super fan of, even though I know most of the internet says I'm wrong about that. And no, so, you're, you're correct. Thank you. See, yes. I, I, maybe it's just that we're the right age for it. I don't know. But like the curmudgeons like Jason Snell, the world would tell you that Hook is a garbage movie and he's wrong because <laughs> uh, I guess he's a garbage person. No, that's not true. I love Jason. I love Jason. <laughs> that's not true. Uh, it's all, we're going to get me canceled tonight. It's one way or another. But, um, but anyway, so yeah, we're watching Peter Pan, it, it is way racist. And it was a similar scenario, like what you're describing, that I didn't in a million years think that this was going to be a problem to watch with the kids. And then I'm watching it thinking, this was not my finest choice in the world. Well, I've noticed it. Uh, and Casey and I are both uh, enjoyers of Disney World. And the Peter Pan ride, when you're on that, if you manage to get on it, because for some reason it always has the longest lineups. Mm-hmm. There's like a borderline super racist part where you're flying over. Oh, does it say like the, white people the, at the front or whatever? No, not, <laughs> no, not that type of thing. But you're flying over the uh, natives, and it's uh, it's it's bad. That's yeah. It, it it was it was rough to watch, but I don't know. It's I, what are you really going to do? Like, it's easy for me to say as a arguably middle aged white guy, but you know we didn't know but better. It's not at arguable the time. <laughs> you're a middle aged white guy. <laughs> Uh, the middle age is what I was arguing about, but you're you're right. Oh. I, I, I turned forty in March, so it's pretty we're, we're pretty much there. But um, you know, it's easy for me to say, but I, I feel like it is of a time. And yes, I un, unabashedly and unequivocally, we should have known better even then. But it's of a time, and and I, I don't think we should ignore it, but I don't think we should celebrate it. And you're also talking to someone who lives in Richmond, Virginia, which has had, uh, well, it has a road. We have a road monument Avenue, which used to be because there were a bunch of Confederate generals and stuff, you know, on, on pedestals all down monument Avenue. Now, thankfully we just removed the last one a couple of months ago, but I, I bring this up to say, it's one thing to acknowledge our crummy past, but we shouldn't necessarily celebrate it. And I feel like I think that's what Disney is trying to do is, you know, leave it available to you. That's why they have like 30 seconds of that black screen saying, you know, this is, this is not a good scene, but you know, it is what it is. And we didn't know better. So here it is. And just to think, uh, Song of the South is so bad that they can't, they've completely disavowed that movie. I, you know, I'm sure I have seen it at some point. I have zero recollection of it, if that's the well, case. Well, I so. mean, you've seen bits and pieces of it if you've been on Splash Mountain. Yeah, exactly. Yep, yep, yep. And they're like gutting that right now, aren't they? Or they already yeah, did they or something like that. Mm. Oh, Speaking man. of regrettable choices, I'm about to send the two of you and Angelo, and I will add this to the show notes, but the most regrettable movie that you can find on Disney Plus right now. Um, and I threatened to turn this on whenever my wife and I can't figure out what to watch. <laughs> okay. It is the 1976 Don Knotts movie, Gus, where he hangs out with a mule named Gus who loves to play a bit of football. This, uh, this does not look like a great film. It is not. I watched 10 minutes of it. It is definitely, uh, I mean, like it's got Ed Asner and, and Dick Buckus in the movie, which I think is like one of the few movies that has both of these. Um, so if ever you feel like watching something inoffensive without the disclaimer and uh, really want to bore the pants off of your family, Gus, Gus is an option. 
you know, and it's fun. Now we're deep into the tangent. So here we go. Sorry, guys. I've just totally okay. destroyed this your show. This is what the show's about. about. The whole show. Yeah, this, uh, this is the show. <laughs> have you watched some of So these are classics in my childhood, like Mary Poppins, the original mm-hmm. um, Herbie, the love bug. Like I've watched some of these movies recently, like with my kids. And it is astonishing how bad they are by <laughs> modern <laughs> sensibilities, right? Like they're so slow. And yeah. so boring, and nothing happens for half the movie. It, it, I don't remember thinking this at all when I was a kid. And again, no, you know, same. everything was different then. But golly, it's it's preposterous. I, I can't. I was so excited to show Declan Herbie. This was like in the peak of him loving cars, and we were watching it together. And after like 10, 15 minutes, he, you could tell he's just like, yeah, I'm going to go play now. <laughs> like this is dumb. I don't, I, I don't care. <laughs> I have it worse, too. I tried to show my daughter the 2001 Spider-Man, mm-hmm. and she thought that was slow. Oh. Like, she's used to, like, the newer Marvel yeah, movies, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. She's like, Daddy, this is really, really old. Oh, oh my God. God. I haven't watched Herbie, but I was trying to force my kids to watch it, but I'll, I'll take your advice. I mean, I is this it. a scenario where you almost have to show them Herbie fully loaded instead? It might oh, maybe, be. Yeah. It might be. Yeah. Which is preposterous. Like, I, whatever. I've seen Herbie fully loaded, and I remember thinking it was campy and dumb, but like it wasn't. I don't remember thinking of it as a legitimately bad movie, but yikes. I mean, the original Herbie, even though I forget the cast off the top of my head, but I remember it being phenomenal, but it's so slow. Like, I feel like I, what I need to do is like, pull it into Final Cut Pro and just like slice <laughs> out 80% of it and make it like 20 minutes long. And you've got, you know, most of what you want from it right then and there. It's, it's something. If maniacs, zombies, aliens, monsters, and madmen are your line, then try this. Double density. The phone number nightmares are made of. Call 1-900-909-CREEP. Double density. Puts you in touch with the baddest of the bad. And now you can be a double density star. Record your own screaming monster madness. You may be heard by millions of double density fans nationwide. Call now. Under 18, get permission before calling. $2 first minute, 45 cents each additional minute. Double density. All right, so tell me about this listener This listener email from Joel. Joel uh, wrote to us. I'm going to read this very quickly. Hey, guys, I'm a longtime listener, first-time emailer that loves your electro-spooky show. I'm contacting you to say that I'm excited to hear your thoughts on the new MacBook Pros. I've been rocking a 2011 MacBook Pro and was about to surrender to the PC side due to the lack of ports and such over the past few years in the MacBook iterations, but decided to order the new MacBook Pro when I saw all of the goodies it had inside. Finally, I gotta say, I'm a crazy audiophile and generally disagree with most things that Angela says about high-quality audio. It would be nice to argue with him about it one day. Anywho, thanks and for the Wicked Podcast. Also, Joel emailed us again today, and uh, Angela, this is the point in the editing process where you're going to add in some Hitchcockian music. Okay, so I wrote you guys yesterday, <laughs> now I'm writing again. This makes me look cuckoo bananas. However, my motivation for this message was that I just finished listening to your latest episode where the release of the new MacBook Pros was discussed, and I've been thinking a lot about this. He also says he felt that we were wrong in saying that these new laptops were Designed for the pro crowd and more casual folk could easily stick to the MacBook Airs. Um, however, I feel this is not necessarily the case, he says, and believe that the new MacBook Pros fill a niche among more basic users. This is because a bunch of features that casual users want need can only be had on these new machines, including things like HDMI ports, SD card readers, uh, trackpad, and RAM, etc., etc. Um, and then second time around, though, uh, Joel signed off with saying, Blood and Kisses, Joel, which I thought was very amusing. <laughs> 
Um, yes. Yeah, so last episode, Angela and I talked about the, um, so I, uh, last year, um, had been using a 2012 MacBook Pro almost to like, uh, you know, the wheels fell off. And so I needed to switch something up. And, uh, I unfortunately, uh, had to buy one of the infamous, touch bar pros which i'm very angry about because they're eliminating those yet again and wait don't forget to mention a month before the m1s came out yes wait no <laughs> but a month before too, yeah. the m1 oh yeah, that's even yeah. worse so, that's brutal <sighs> yeah no it was it was a necessity unfortunately because the uh the job that i worked at wasn't providing us with laptops to work with we had to use our own which is just another topic entirely um <laughs> as we were forced to work from home but then yeah so the the lack of m1s and also the fact that i have to buy an 80 dollars dongle to get a usb and hdmi output Yep. So I, I take it you're you're looking for me to be the bad guy and 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 argue with Joel via the podcast. No, not at all. Uh, no, no. No, no. I, you know, I, I understand the point, right? Like you could argue easily, and I could and would argue, in fact, that some aspects of the MacBook Pros, the new MacBook Pros, I think absolutely should be across the line. For example, I I am not a touch bar hater, but I it never really did that much for me. I typically only used it to do tap backs on messages, you know, the ha-has and the thumbs up and thumbs down. Um, I probably used it for a couple other things, but that was almost it, which is funny because my understanding is that on Xcode, which is what I used to write like iOS apps, it's pretty robust, the, the touch bar support, but I just never think to look down and use it. And I'm not all that often on my laptop doing writing code anyway. I would argue that getting rid of the touch bar is probably good for everyone. Um, and it is mostly gone at this point, but I don't know. I think like 32 gigs of Ram or 64 gigs of Ram for an average person, I don't really see why that's necessary. I don't think for an average person, an SD card slot is necessary. Um, I think MagSafe is absolutely something that should be across the board. And I'm sure it will be soon. I th- again, I think HDMI should be across the board. I am super stoked to have HDMI on, on my forthcoming laptop um, because when I travel, a lot of times what I'll do is I will plug either an iPad Pro or my MacBook Pro into the TV in the hotel or the Airbnb yep. or whatever that we're staying in. And in order to do that in the past, regardless of if it was my iPad or my Mac, I needed this godforsaken like $80, like you said, Brian, like this just... In- ridiculously expensive dongle that unnecessarily expensive dongle and it's fine but it's frustrating to have to do that and i can only imagine back when we all could see each other how annoying it would be to plug into like you know displays at work or not not displays as much but like tvs and conference rooms or projectors or what have you it's just it's it's unnecessarily user hostile and yes the the macbook pro that i have like it is a beautiful piece of art but i would f- much rather have a slightly less attractive piece of art that has an HDMI port. And, and selfishly, I would like an SD card slot uh, and MagSafe than I would having this beautiful piece of art that's symmetric in every axis and so on and so forth. So uh, to come back to Joel's point, like, yeah, good speakers are great for everyone. MagSafe is great for everyone. I would argue HDMI is great for everyone, but I don't think you need preposterous amounts of RAM. I don't think you need the incredible speed of the RAM and the SSD for your average person. Not to say people couldn't use it, not to say they wouldn't like it, but I don't think it's really compulsory. And so I both agree and disagree with Joel's point. I don't know. What do you guys think about it? Well, just to go back to the beautiful piece of artwork, our friend of the show, Tyler Menard, just before the podcast started, received his new 14-inch MacBook Pro. Oh, must be nice. And uh, <laughs> his wife said, your new laptop looks old and big. <laughs> <laughs> Whoopsie-dipsie. 
I've seen pictures, and yeah, it looks it's a lot boxier. It reminds me of the like 2008 mm-hmm. MacBook mm-hmm. Pros and stuff, but it's nice. Yeah, it's it, really so nice. I went to the local Apple store because I live just a few miles away from one, and I fondled one <laughs> briefly this morning, <laughs> and they are very nice. Um, coming from my, so I have a year old the uh, Intel four port 13 inch MacBook Pro. And coming from mine, it seemed to be roughly the same size. Like, I didn't have them side by side, but just, you know, handling it in the store, they seemed to be roughly the same size, roughly the same weight. They visually were very different, unquestionably. But I wouldn't say... It, 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 it was clear, I would say it was clear that it was a MacBook Pro. It was just a MacBook Pro of a different era. And I'm super excited to get mine. I did order one. Um, I was lamenting or really whining to the boys before we started recording that uh, it, it is apparently circling Shanghai right now as we record this. And, and it's supposed to be here Monday or Wednesday, depending on who you ask. UPS says Monday, maybe. Apple says Wednesday, maybe. And in the grand scheme of things, it's fine. Like, this isn't a do-or-die thing for me. But, you know, I record my, my normal podcast, the Accidental Tech Podcast, as we're recording this. I record that tomorrow night, and I'm not going to have this in time, which is a bummer. But, you know, not the end of the earth. And I thought about, when I was at the store, seeing if there was a config that I would be interested in and just, you know, impulse buying that and then returning the one that's eventually going to move from Shanghai to my house. Uh, but unfortunately, none of the builds they had were really fit fit what I needed out of the machine. So I, I came home empty-handed. But and, and you are a user who needs all that RAM. I mean, I mean, am I? I think I am, but am I? I'm a user who goes who uses Logic a lot, either for podcasts, which doesn't take that much to be quite honest. Mm-hmm. But for music, you know, when I'm recording music, I can add all kinds of tracks if I have <laughs> more power, right? Like I have right now a 2015 iMac with a core i5 like processor, mm-hmm. which like sounds horrifying to some people out there. <laughs> uh, I got it with eight gigs of RAM, but I, I upgraded to sixteen. Yeah, okay. that was that was a little bit of a bottleneck. I upgraded to sixteen though, which was nice. Remember back in the days when you could upgrade your computer with add extra RAM? Yeah, it was mm-hmm. nice. These were the last ones, I think, and I don't think Apple's gonna allow that anymore. So mm-hmm. when I get my eventual replacement to this twenty seven inch iMac, which will be whatever they come out with next year. I'm likely going to go at least 16, if not 32. From your podcast episode last week, uh, we have learned that uh, Casey Liss ordered a 14-inch M1 Max 24-core mm-hmm. GPU mm-hmm. with 64 gigs of RAM and a 4-terabyte <laughs> SSD. Holy hell. Uh, yeah. But I get you, because I, you know what I have on this? 256. Oh, Because, Yikes. well, at the time... Adding the even going to five twelve would have added like five hundred dollars on this stupid thing. Yeah. So I have external. I have external hard drives hooked up, so it's fine. I have an extra terabyte and a half external, which is totally fine. So and they never get disconnected, so it's okay. But my next one is going to be at least a terabyte, if not two, but four. Wow. Well, so there's there's justification behind this, or at least I think there is. Uh, so what, what I'm talking there to you on, is. there always is, right? Uh, well, first of all, my justification is I do a podcast with Marco Arment and John Syracuse, and Marco in particular is exceedingly good at spending other people's money. Well, he's he's ex- <laughs> well, he's best at spending his own money, but with a very close second at spending other people's money. And so the uh, the Marco was sitting on my, the little Marco head was sh- sitting on my shoulders as I was building I, I do this. love how self-aware Marco is about that. <laughs> very much so, very much so. Um, but no, the thing is, so I'm talking to you on a, uh, an iMac Pro, which I bought, I want to say late 2018. 
2017, I think that's right. Shoot, I don't remember. That makes sense for when those were coming out. Yeah, Yeah. Um, it's a 2017 iMac Pro, but I believe I bought it late 2018. And brand new, but um, they hadn't been refreshed at that point. And I love this machine, really, hand to God. I I love this machine. It's an incredible machine. Um, But I suspect that once I have an M1 Mac in the house, I'm going to look at this and say, well, this is the slowest piece of garbage I've ever used in my life. And so (laughs) with that in mind... I didn't. I wanted to leave myself the option of treating the forthcoming Mac, if, if it ever stops circling Shanghai, not that I'm bitter, the forthcoming Mac as my own, one and only machine. And so with that in mind, the iMac Pro has a four terabyte drive in it and it has 64 gigs of RAM. And so basically when I was building the MacBook Pro, I thought, well, let me just stick with what I got because it seems to be working. And it is very much a no compromise machine. I guess you could argue I compromised on GPU, but I don't do anything GPU intensive anyway. Um, so it was a very, very expensive computer. I don't know what it is in, in loonies or whatever your ridiculous money it's is a up lot. there. Whatever then, it is, plus 30 or 40%. Oh, God. See, I was kidding, but now I regret even bringing it up. Uh, <laughs> but it was it was very expensive in our American dollars. And so um, I, I hope that this wasn't a poor choice. The problem, though is that even if, like, let's assume I get this and it's amazing and I want to, you know, ditch the iMac Pro and and sell it or something like that. Um, The problem I have, though, is that now I have years, because I had an iMac before this, I have years and years and years, probably like five years, maybe even more, of staring at a 27-inch screen when I'm doing work at home. And now the only monitor I'll have for this laptop is the 14-inch onboard (laughs) screen on this laptop, which is beautiful based on the ones I saw in the Apple store, but nonetheless, it's still 14 inches. And I am not at the position where I think it is prudent, nor reasonable, nor advisable to spend $6,000 on a pro display XDR. So what is, what what am I going to do about monitors? And my current thinking, because I'm cheap is I'm going to get like a couple of 24 inch 4k monitors and like put them side by side. Like I used to do at my jobby job and possibly just clamshell the Mac um, because that you can do for like 600 bucks. And even the LG Ultrafine 5K, which my dad has, and it's, as they say, it's ultra fine. Like it's fine. <laughs> um, but it's still like 1500 bucks. And yeah. when I'm already in five grand on this laptop, I mean, unless I can resell my existing laptop or this iMac Pro, I'm not sure I really want to go in another $1,500, much less 6,000 on an XDR. So that's, that's the real conundrum though. It's like, even if I'm willing to go to a one computer lifestyle of the struggle, but you know, even if I'm willing to go to the one computer lifestyle, which I think I am, I don't know what I'm going to do about monitors or monitor. And, and that really bums me out. I would, I would, I wish so badly that Apple had a solution to offer for this. And I feel like it is such an unbelievable failure is strong, but, uh, an unbelievable an oversight, hole. I would say oversight's a better word for it, uh, in their lineup, you know, that, that there's the only option is nothing or mortgage the house to get a monitor. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, what's nice about the iMac, right? Like that's, mm-hmm. that's what I'm holding off. Like if this uh, iMac crapped out on me tomorrow, I'm not quite sure what I would do because oh, yeah. yep. the 24 inch iMac, although, uh, your co-host Mike Hurley is using one mm-hmm. and says it's mm-hmm. great. It is. I worry that it's, is it enough? Like I, I have a hard time going down from a 27 inch to a 24. I'm on this computer all day for work as well, right? Cause I work from home. Mm-hmm. And, uh, although my, the university I work at would be happy to give me a, a garbage PC to work on, <laughs> I'm not going to do that, right? Like I'm going to work on my PC, my, my lovely Mac when I, you know, if I, I, that's the hardest part of if I ever go back to the office is going to be switching back to a, 
what two-year-old Dell with a spinning hard drive in it? Oh, like oh. I know, I know. I worked very hard to ask for SSDs when they got new computers, oh. but our IT department would, was a no-go. By the way, uh, Casey, your computer, uh, spec that as you did, would be fifty-six forty-nine in Canadian dollars. Oh, that's actually, I think, well, that's so, awful. No, it's, it's. I mean, it's a lot of money. Don't get me wrong, but I think mine with tax with Apple Care, which I didn't mention, was a shade over five thousand American. So okay, well, it, this is before tax and oh. Canadian tax is another fifteen percent. Oh, as we discussed prior to the episode, uh, uh, happy to uh, Casey medicine. is giving us a lovely. <laughs> no, see, this is why you shouldn't do a video podcast, gentlemen. See, I was trying to slide that in quietly. Well, nobody will see this. Yeah. Nobody will see this. I was so trying okay. to s- quietly give you a give you a sal- one fingered salute because I'm very jealous of your socialized healthcare. But be that as it may, so I don't know what. So what do you? I I kind of railroaded you to. So is Joel right? Is is Joel right in saying that th- this is not really a pro computer? This is an every person computer. So I've we had this debate last episode where I was suggesting that like a lot of users you mainly would use things for what, like word processing, you know, unless you're a content creator, like for example, like I um have a decent MacBook Pro because I find myself using Final Cut, you know, X Pro to do like random projects in my life. And same thing with uh, like Angela was saying for logic, like if I'm stacking things together or if I'm making like a stupid bumper for the show, like sometimes that I do and I'm <laughs> like 16, 20 tracks deep, um, right. then you know, I'm going to need that RAM. Uh, you know, I'm, no, I'm going to need that processing power too, depending on what I'm up to. Yeah, I'm kind of torn on on his comments too, because at the baseline, sure, like you were saying, Casey, like an HDMI uh, output should be universal. Things like that should be universal and available in the lesser error option. And I agree with that to a certain extent. Um, you know, and I was, I was joking that like people, a lot of people's wishes could be fulfilled with a simple Chromebook based on what they're using it for. There's a certain cachet that you get when using an Apple product still in this day and age. Yeah. Yeah. It, it depends though, right? Like Casey can't use a Chromebook. I can't use a Chromebook because of the apps can't, we use. Well, can't or won't. Well, I, oh, look, I'm not switching from Logic Pro to like, uh, what's the other one? Uh, Audacity? Well, I mean, you have FL Studio, you have Reaper, you have all these, right? <laughs> yeah, no, thank you. I like Actually, you're talking to someone who who deals with this for a living, right? So remember I know. those things. <laughs> like Brian literally works for a music company. But I, I look, I've used Logic in the express form like since 2006 when I had my iBook Remember those? I mm-hmm. love those iBooks. Mm-hmm. Those I had a Mac first. Mini at that time. Yeah, yeah. I had a I had a iBook G4. You know, uh, so when I was um, when I w- it was before I moved to Richmond, I was in Charlottesville, Virginia, and uh, there was a news story that hit Virginia news and then hit national news. And I'll see if I can dig up a link. Um, but there were, so the, the, the county in which I now live, don't be creepy. They have been one for one with, you know, computers to students for years and years and years, but long before it was trendy or super hipster about it. But, um, we, <laughs> we, they were moving, I guess the, the Apple contract had run out. Um, and so they were unloading a bunch of, I thought it was, um, iBooks, if I'm not mistaken. And so they were selling all of their iBooks for literally 25 or 50 bucks a pop. And they were a couple of years old and had been used by like middle school kids. So they were not in great state, but it was a not terribly unreasonable computer 
that was being sold for like 50 bucks. And there was, uh, there was a big sale at the uh, local NASCAR racetrack because America. And, uh, and so there was like stampedes for people trying to get to the front of the line to buy these like $50 iBooks or whatever it was. Uh, and it made national news very briefly a few years ago. This is before we even knew we were moving to Richmond. And I just thought it was the most preposterous. Was that an exciting factor for you? Like it's such a hotbed of <laughs> Apple activity that you knew that you wanted to know. I, this. I had to, it was my destiny. <laughs> no, uh, when I, when we moved here, I did not have a Mac. I did to have an, I mean, this is 2008, I believe it was that we came. And so I had seen an iPhone a few times. And I remember thinking that watching, you know, watching my friend who had one pinch and zoom on Apple or Google maps at that point was mind blowing. Um, I might've had a Motorola razor, which I loved, um, at the time. Uh, and I had a ThinkPad as a computer, and then I got a polycarbonate MacBook late in twenty, in, late in two thousand eight, and it was all downhill or uphill, depending on how you look at it from there. I was going to ask, can you picture your life now if, in an alternate path where you just stuck to the PC side of things? No, it's, you know I've thought about that a lot actually. So, in case you're not familiar with who I am, you know I make my living for the most part, you know, or really entirely, writing either apps for the iPhone or podcasting about mostly Apple related things, and so. If this company just fizzled out and disappeared, you know, back in the '90s, if I didn't get browbeat by all of my developer friends to try a Mac in the in the mid to late aughts, my life would be wildly, wildly different. Um, I work for myself and have for three ish years now, uh, and I sincerely doubt that would be the case if it wasn't for podcasting and app development. And it, there's nothing wrong with not working for yourself. I did that for most of my career, but it's certainly very different now than it would have been to your point, Brian had, had none of these little Mm -hmm. infinitesimally small steps happened. And, you know, seriously, it was Marco and another Marco was living in New York at the time. And well, it still is. And I was living in a different part of Virginia in Charlottesville and he, and then a, Oh, sorry. No, I was in Richmond at the time. And he, and then a local, two local friends of mine actually that I worked with were all browbeating me. Like, just get a Mac, just get a Mac, just get a Mac. You'll love it. You'll love it. You'll love it. You'll love it. I'm I, we went back and forth on Tumblr. I've mentioned this a few times. I think that's still, um, still available on the internet and you can watch me like convince myself to buy a Mac. Oh shoot. My Tumblr log <laughs> is still there, but I forget the link. I'll have to dig that up. Remind me and, I, and I'll try to find a link for the show notes. It's deeply, deeply embarrassing, but um, you can watch me argue with Marco via Tumblr as to whether or not Macs are overpriced. What can it really do for me that my ThinkPad can't like all of the standard talking points for a PC user. And my dad, you know, worked for IBM for almost my entire life. And I have a lot of uh, loyalty, respect, I don't know, for IBM, despite the fact that they're basically a shell of what they once were, um, but they paid for my entire childhood. And so I grew up on ThinkPads and PCs, uh, and, and I wasn't really keen to leave it behind. But I even at that point, I really didn't like Windows. I had been dabbling with running Ubuntu full time because I was a loser nerd with, with too much free time, <laughs> you know, kids, too much free time, etc. Um, and, and what had happened was I was doing a distro upgrade on Ubuntu from like Hardy Heron to Gutsy Gibbon or something like that. I forget what it was. And, um, and it all crap the bed. And I was like, I'm out. This is, this is, this is crap. I'm tired of windows. I'm tired of Ubuntu. So by process of elimination, or, you know, I could have tried a different flavor of Linux, but by process of, of, of elimination, why don't I just try this Mac that my three friends are browbeating me about? And that was late 2008. And yeah, my life is wildly, wildly different now as, based on that one stupid decision to get a polycarbonate macbook which was kind of a piece of crap in the grand scheme of things but like <laughs> that's what i did and it absolutely changed my life 
I went, so I came to Max via indoctrination, I think is the best way of putting it, because <laughs> the way that uh, things fell, I went to, so basically what we have in Quebec is a junior college system, so basically we shave a year off of high school, and you can get two years to go to a junior college to sort of figure things out before jumping to university, and so I ended up in a cinema program there, and everything, everything, everything was Mac, just mm-hmm, a Mac, mm-hmm. so you got, you learned, I think it was like Final Cut 5 or 6 on a Mac, <laughs> and so to me, Macs are always pitched as like the creative engine by which you can get things done more efficiently, right. versus um, people. PCs, uh, which would crash a lot more, and uh, their programs were bulkier, less sleek, harder to use, which uh, to some degree I do um, still agree with uh, knowing friends who use um, various editing software, um, both on the PC side of things, but also on the Mac side of things. My Mac friends are very, very um, happy using uh, Final Cut Pro X, etc., etc. So mm-hmm. to me, it's always been sold as like, this is the way in which you are now going to be able to complete creative projects more quickly right you have to have it there's no choice this is what you yeah. need to no have. it was peer pressure it was absolutely mm-hmm. peer pressure and institutional pressure yep yeah see i didn't have as much of the institutional pressure other than it was like so i'm, a, I'm at the time i'm a full-on microsoft developer um but you know all of all of my friends are dabbling in like ruby on rails or whatever was trendy at the time and um and it was really nice to have a full-on like true unix system below the very pretty you know delightful apple user interface in in mac o, mac os 10 at the time user interface and so that was part of the reason like people were so excited to try it and at this point i had a pretty reasonable working relationship with Linux or Unix. So it made sense for me to think about it or try it. Um, and then, like I said, you know, once I did, I was like, well, holy crap, everyone was right. You know, even though I've been <laughs> digging my heels in for months, as you can find, I did find that link, by the way, for Tumblr. Please don't read it, listeners. It's terrible. But, um, you know, it, I, it, it, I eventually figured out, like, no, that people are enthusiastic about this for a reason, because it really is, in so many ways, much better. And now, I probably don't do a particularly good job of, like, really giving Android or Windows a a good shake. I was using Windows regularly up until the last couple of years of my first career of working for others. Um, And at that point, Windows was legitimately trash. Now I've understood it to be quite a bit better. Um, But at at the time, it was awful. And I haven't, other than a Raspberry Pi, I haven't really used proper Linux in forever, like 10 plus years. I was going to just like, just riffing off that though, I feel like there's a real moment in time um, from like 2005 to 2010, 11-ish, where like Linux was like the tech resistance sort of like flavor du jour in terms of like being able to like adopt it in various ways and sort of you know doing what what uh, windows doesn't uh, to mm-hmm. uh, borrow the old nintendo and sega rivalry um but I, I i feel in time like like the mac ecosystem has sort of like supplanted that to a certain degree too i feel like a lot more yeah. people have adopted that for various reasons including ease of use um and also ease of coding yeah it's funny too because if you think about it and i think your timing is right like it was probably the late aughts up until maybe 2010 that Linux seemed like a viable alternative. At this point, it was usable by a regular human, like usable by a regular geeky human, like uh, a, a truly regular human had no business running Linux, but a, a, human that had a pretty good geek background could do it. Uh, but the thing about it, and I didn't think about this until you said something, Brian, is that, at that point, like cloud, the cloud was just starting to be a thing. Like, you know, Gmail, I remember getting a Gmail account right before I graduated college in 04. Um, so like cloud-based things were starting to be real. I think Dropbox was roundabouts at the same time, give or take a couple of years. And so 
uh, what I'm meandering toward is that if you were to try it today, I would argue you would have a significantly better experience on Linux or some other alternative operating system when so much of your world is is living on the internet. So I mean, look at for what I do for a living. You know, my email is a is Google Apps for my domain. Uh, my code is all stored on GitHub. Now, granted, I am writing iOS apps, so you know, th for that reason, I would have to have a Mac. But let's suppose I was writing like a web app or something like that. Then it doesn't matter where I am, and GitHub is on the web, and that's where my code lives. Um, I don't use Dropbox anymore, asterisk, but, you know, I, I use an equivalent that's running on my Synology, my network attached storage at home. So all of that stuff lives in my own personal cloud. Like, so much of my life lives in the, the internet that I think I could get away with going full-time on Linux now, or, or it would be much easier now than it ever would have been the 10, 15 years ago that I was trying it, when you really still had to have a native app for just about everything. And that was almost always a non-starter on Linux because nobody made a native app for Linux. What, for 12 people? Why would you bother, you know? Yeah. And to follow up to that, though, it's funny because we were talking about how, um, and it's been the last couple of episodes, how like now we live within the browser for a lot yeah. of what we do, for mm -hmm. everything we do. Like at work, we use Google Suites um, for business to do all of our, our communicating and work and editing and things like that. And as you're saying, like, uh, you know, a Google domain, email address, like things like that all yeah. exist within the browser experience and you don't necessarily have to install as many things. So I think that like tangentially to add to your point like using linux now is is much more easy because mm -hmm. of the fact that you don't have to have a reliance on these apps yep yep and i mean i i could wax poetic for for hours and hours about how I don't think that everyone going to web apps is necessarily a great thing. Like I think in a lot of ways we're losing some of what makes the Mac great by having all of these apps go to Electron or other, you know, either web, web like straight up on the web or web-based technologies. And, you know, we talked about this on ATP most specifically around 1Password. And, and I could, especially from the perspective of 1Password, make a passionate argument as to why it makes perfect sense for them to go to Electron, which if you're not familiar, is basically like an instance of Google Chrome specifically for running your application. So you can write it in web technologies and thus it's portable, you know, across all these different platforms. But it seems at a glance like a native app. Um, and that that's wonderful for the Linuxes of the world where they are getting access to apps that they may not have otherwise. But for you know Mac, Mac OS or even the Windows users of the world, it's arguably not as good because now you're getting, everyone is getting the lowest common denominator and that's crummy. Now, people like, you know, 1Password and Agile Bits, I think they're trying their darndest. Uh, oh, they're Canadian. They're largely Canadian, so I got to be super nice to them right now. Uh, but <laughs> they're trying their darndest to do what they can to make it as, as, as native appearing as they possibly can, given the tool chain. And I think they've actually been doing a very commendable job, but you can still tell, or at least a discerning person can still tell that it's not native. Now, a regular human, could they tell? Eh, Probably, Probably not. not. Probably they're not, not trained to. Like they're not right, trained to look no. up for these things, right? So, yep. so I don't know. I, it's it's just funny to me. Like I think that you could make an argument if you were fed up with Apple, or if you were fed up with the Mac, or if you're fed up with Windows. Yeah, you you a lot of people like ping pong back and forth between the two, but really, I haven't looked at the Linux landscape in a long, long, long time. But you could make a pretty good argument that now is the time. <laughs> Tomorrow is the day. This year is the year that it's <laughs> well, for listen, Linux on the desktop. If your Mac keeps getting delayed, you might get frustrated enough to sort of <sighs> pivot to Linux, right? God, tell me about it. It's, to it's, like gut one of your 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 you know whatever you have lying around the house and sort of mm -hmm. like run a Linux distro on there. <sighs> God, I tell you, it's such a first world. It's the first worldiest of first world problems, but it's so frustrating. <laughs> it's so frustrating. And do you know what? guys if you just sit there and mash command r on the ups track 
tracking page, it does not actually seem to accelerate anything anything at all, which is devastating. It doesn't bring Christmas any closer. No, it's devastating. The fastest delivery I ever got was my current iPhone 12. Mm -hmm. I I was planning to go like four years with my 8 Plus. I was like, I wanted to see how long it could last, Mm -hmm. but it really died in March. Like the battery just said it was at 100% at like nine o'clock in the morning. And by 10, after two or three pictures, it was at 40%. Okay. Oh yeah, my. well, the, yeah, it, and I was getting the service battery indicator on. I was mm-hmm. like, okay, let me just order a new phone. I ordered at 10 a.m. and next morning at 8:30, it was here by FedEx. By FedEx? Is, oh wow, that's wild. Yeah, yeah, oh, I was wait. really shocked. I, it, it seems like they just basically shipped it from like one of the stores mm-hmm. near Montreal. So it was like, it, but I, I've never seen that because earlier in the year, my my daughter's iPad that we we my daughter is very practical. Like for an 11 year old, like do you want an iPad for your birthday? Like the whole family is going to chip in and get you one. No, I'm I'm fine with this iPad mini. She had like the 2013 iPad mini that, mm. you know, you would press on things and it would work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And we finally got her an iPad, but it took three weeks to arrive. But this was in the height of like COVID uncertainty, right? Mm-hmm, like in mm-hmm. April of 2020. So we didn't know, but that's the longest I've ever seen anything take. Yeah, it's Don't funny. worry, Casey, your Mac will arrive. <laughs> I'm, sure, I, I'm sure it will. It's just so frustrating not to see any motion. Like if, even if well, it was Especially wasn't... since you have a show right? that <laughs> exactly. people want to listen to you talk about this and it's like circling the drain somewhere in Shanghai. Yeah. Well, so the problem now in my brain, right, is that now it's analogous to one of those videos where like an army vet comes back and the dog's at the door. No, yeah, and, like it's the big surprise. Like, this is this is the dichotomy I've now made for you and your Mac. Right, right, it's right. The, the level of excitement that it's you're here. about to, to it's have. Here. Yeah, it's so true. No, I, uh, it's it, again, it's so stupid. I really shouldn't be complaining about this, but it's just it's so frustrating. We are a podcast made up of two white guys who complain about everything, right? So like this is pretty much par for the course, <laughs> right? Right. This is excellent programming. Uh, you know, John waited what ten years to get a new Mac. Yes, but I mean. Let's be honest, John spent like $15,000 or something like that on his computer. So at that point, I think he, 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 was, he waited the appropriate amount of time for the amount of money that he spent. But now he's going to wait. He's going to wait way less, though. Because well, I'm sure we'll he's going to get whatever flavor of, of Mac Pro you comes know, out next. Well, it, it's he's funny. He's such a practical person, though. Well, you say that about a man who spent $15,000 on a computer. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I, I agree and disagree with you. In, in so many ways, I think John is extremely frugal. And I, well, I am not a frugal person by nature, but over the years I've taught myself how to be that way. And I think it's funny that John is so reluctant to buy himself a new phone every year, which isn't necessary. But I mean, you could argue, at least for the three of us, it's for our work, right? And so he's still on a two-year cycle on his phones. He's on like a 10-year cycle for his Mac, so maybe. <laughs> and and so it's weird. It's such a dichotomy that he would not buy a computer for 10 years because it just didn't fit, didn't fit his magical needs. But then he'll drop, and I don't remember if it was literally $15,000 or not, but whatever the obscene amount of money was, you know, he'll drop that in a heartbeat once he found what he really wanted. And so I both deeply admire that about him because he was patient, waited for what he really wanted, and also can't help but wonder, like, what did you miss out on? Like, it's funny because as I was getting ready for the show, right before we started recording, I was thinking to myself, like, this iMac Pro, which I only bought a couple of years ago, was also really expensive. I don't remember how much it was off the top of my head. It doesn't really matter what the number was, but it was really expensive. And I started to feel guilty that, like, even just a couple of years on, I'm looking at getting rid of this thing because it is such a great machine. But then I thought to myself, like, okay, after I 
you know, paid off that the the visa bill. You know, I you know after I paid actually paid the the cost of the machine. You know, a couple of weeks later, a month later, or whatever. I haven't regretted having this machine once in the two or three years I've had it, and even I, I regret that it cost as much as it did. But I don't regret having spent the money. Does that make sense? And so, you know, I I feel like I wonder if John missed out on having other computers that would have reasonably suited his needs, and maybe wouldn't have been perfect but would have perhaps improved his computing life over the 10 year span between his first cheese grater, his most recent cheese grater and the new Mac pro. I don't know. Yeah. Well, it's, the, it's that need versus one dichotomy, right? Of like, yep. what do you need to continue using a computer versus like, what do you want out of a computer too? Yep. 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 Yeah. Brian plays that card with me all the time when I call. It's true. Cause he's buying things. like, Oh God, he, he texts me. He's got like 6,000 home pods at home. Oh, I'm thinking about getting the kids <laughs> home pods now. No, like no joke. He's got like what? Like four, you've got four, three, I have four? five. I have oh, two, Gone. Big ones that are connected to the TV, and I have three minis. What, want versus need. You know how many HomePods I have in the house? You have none, I know. I know, not a one. Perfect, yes, thank you. Like, uh, So speaking of this, speaking of HomePods, speaking of audio fidelity. Oh, well done, well done. Um, the second half of Joel's emails is all about uh, audio fidelity and talking about, because um, Angela and I both um, riff on the idea of audio files, and the fact is, like, after a certain time, especially with um, uh, you know, uh, digital signals, doesn't really matter. <laughs> Things don't matter. Nothing is sacred. Nothing is perfect. Yeah, so, I, I have a I have a funny Casey story here. Oh, I'm um, scared. When now. I, I think, well, no, it's it's <laughs> it's goes back to when I first started listening to ATP, and I didn't really know who everybody was yet on the show and stuff. And oh, Casey's the guy with who likes turntables or mm-hmm, something. Like mm-hmm. this was it was that was like 2013 or something. Maybe it was like early on in Probably, the show yeah. where we were talking about that more often. Because I think I started wa- listening. To ATP, I think like I don't know twenty something episodes in. Okay. I didn't go mm-hmm. back and listen to all the early ones, but oh, I, I don't remember how I came across you guys. I know, <laughs> I'm but I don't even know how I came across the show. But it just—I think it was around the time of the iPhone 5s or something. Mm-hmm. Anyway, but I remember you talking about listening to turntables mm-hmm. and how you enjoyed the whole process. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, I've seen some of your tweets, and you're not really an audiophile guy, right? Like you're, <sighs> you're kind of against the whole voodoo around like certain cables and stuff like that i think so this is this is really tough listeners right? he's so, sighing heavily he's rubbing his head <laughs> i love i love video podcasting i love oh, it it's the worst <laughs> um so this is really tough and hear me hear me out and let me finish my thought before you jump all over me but this is this is the moment when i can understand if not agree with how someone can be like a vaccine, a vaccine denier. Like it is preposterous to deny the efficacy of these vaccines. It's preposterous not to get a shot. Like I, I, I truly cannot fathom how one comes to that conclusion. But I can understand on a more general level how someone can have can struggle with believing two diametrically opposed things. So let's talk about audio. Um, I grew up. <laughs> I grew up in a, in a house that music was always playing. Like nobody, nobody in my house was a particularly talented musician. Like my mom could play guitar ish and by ear, like she couldn't read music or anything like that. Um, and I heard her do it five, ten times in my entire childhood. But uh, my dad has been obsessed with music since I can remember, and I think since before he met my mom, um, and. So music was always playing in the house. And that's the way I am now. Like I totally got that from him. Like it is, 
it is uncomfortable for me to be in silence. I either need to have a podcast or television or more often than not music playing. And I grew up with a guy who had a ridiculous sound system in his dorm room. You know, obviously it was way before me, but he had these, I, I believe they were um, Marantz, like these huge three foot by three foot, like Dalquist in a, in a dorm room. You know, this is, you know, what is that? 18 square feet of freaking speaker in a dorm room in like the seventies or something like that. And, and he had always had ridiculous stereos in different levels, you know, ridiculous for a college student, ridiculous for a young adult, ridiculous for a man who has kids that he should probably be worried about how he's funding, you know, them rather than funding his stereo, but be that as it may. Um, And we always had in the house, and to this day, he still has a phenomenal stereo. Uh, I remember he bought a, this was when I was like 10-ish, give or take a little bit, he bought a Saturn, and I don't know if you guys remember Saturn, but it was like a GM offshoot. And Yeah, of course, um, of course, yeah. They were made of plastic and they were pieces of garbage when they were brand new, but they were nice pieces of garbage. And so uh, I remember vividly, he bought a brand new Saturn sedan, which was nice for what it was. Um, and within 48 hours of having this car, I think it was like, it was 92 or 94. I forget which one, what year it was, but within two days of having the car, I went into the garage And the entire dashboard was flopped out onto his lap because he was putting this ridiculous car stereo into this car. That was in like 92 or 94. And it wasn't until I heard a Harman Kardon setup in a BMW in the early 2010s that I heard a stereo that I felt even came close to that one that he had put in the Saturn in the early 90s. And to this day, he has a really phenomenal setup at home. He has... I think a couple of teal loudspeakers. He had a Krell amp that just got replaced with an Emotiva, I believe. He, I forget what his preamp setup is now. I think he has a Krell preamp as well, but he often uses some other preamp. Uh, this, This is way outside my comfort zone. And here again, this is a trillion words to say, I have listened to a a legitimately demonstrably incredible stereo on and off for my entire life. So I would tell you that there is some amount of what an audiophile believes that is legitimate. But I also would tell you in the same breath that a lot of it is hocus pocus and snake oil. And it's very hard to figure out what's the turn of phrase, like the wheat from the chaff. And it's hard to figure out what's legitimate and what is just straight up garbage. To me, I look. I always look at that at the end user, right? Like, you can you really tell the difference between a five hundred dollars setup and a ten thousand dollars setup? And then most of the time, if you were to really blindfold someone and sit them down and, and try to get them to tell the difference, ninety seven percent of the time you wouldn't be able to, right? So I feel like there's like a line being crossed, and I think that like there is a certain amount of of snake oil um, selling for sure. And I also just think that like in our move from and, and because what you're describing here is an analog experience, right? Because mm-hmm. a lot of the, the newer audiophile stuff is a merger of both digital yep. Um, yep. in terms of like signal processing as well as um, yeah, having to plug something into something else. 
Yeah, and it's funny because this new amp that he got, I think it's Nemativa, it's actually got tubes in it. Like, and that's part of the selling point is, you know, and now I'm not telling you, I'm not trying to vouch for that being snake oil or otherwise. It very well could be total snake oil. I'm not, I, I don't know. But, you know, the, the argument is even though this amplifier is, well, that, I guess it's all analog at that point. But nevertheless, like, you know, you're taking this even straight up analog, you're taking like this ancient technology of like freaking vacuum tubes. This is 2021 that he bought this amp and it's got friggin' vacuum tubes in it. But supposedly it makes it warmer and and sound better. And so I, I agree with you, like, especially when it comes to like I I have such conflicting viewpoints. Like I, I think I am I am so hypocritical. Um, you know, I it I would tell you that like the difference between flack and MP3 no normal human can tell the difference in almost any setup. But then I'll tell you, you sit me in, you sit me in the BMW, like, you know, let's pretend I didn't know I was climbing into a car. You sit me in a BMW, which this Harman Kardon that I had heard was amazing. Like it was legitimately a phenomenal stereo. And then you put me in my dad's living room again, you know, assuming I didn't know which one I was in. I could still. This is a whole afternoon of shuttling you around. This, this, <laughs> this is a whole endeavor, right? And lifting me up, like carrying me across the threshold. Um, There's going to be a snack break, right? Right. But I, I think you. I think any of any of the three of us, even a not discerning person, could tell the difference. But uh, where's the line, right? And that's the right, question I exactly, keep asking myself. Right, right. Yeah. There's a lot. There's a certain point where there's like a law of diminishing returns. Yep, absolutely. Right? Like it, with everything, right? Like I have, I have this. Like it's a it's an SM58 mic, right? Mm-hmm. And this is I think this is where microphones start sounding good. Yeah, right. You have I think you have the the Shure Beta 58, right? Yeah, yeah, I think, yeah, that's, I think that's right. Use. Yeah, oh, it's been so and long Brian has the Shure SM SM7B, which I which used is, to have. Yep. Yeah, and and those microphones are like depending on your voice too, right? Which one sounds mm-hmm. good? But all three of us sound pretty good. Now, if I went and turned this off and started talking on my Max microphone, you'd hear a huge difference. Oh, right? certainly. So. But the difference between our microphones and like a $2,000 microphone for podcasting, you won't hear a huge difference. There'll be a difference for sure, but not a, like it starts getting less and less. I can't believe that you're out here advocating for a Blue Yeti setup here. (laughs) (laughs) This is definitely what you're doing right now. Yeah, that's what I'm hearing. (laughs) That's our sponsor. Um, (laughs) It's the same thing with speakers, right? Like you're, Mm -hmm. you're listening to... I remember once going, I had headphones, like this is, this is Discman days. So like the yeah. 90s oh, yeah, yeah. and my earbuds broke. So I said, oh, I'm just going to go to the dollar store and buy some, all earbuds are exactly the same, right? Yeah. They're all the same. They are not the same. I, I went and bought a, a $5 pair of earbuds and they literally fell a, apart on the subway ride home. Yeah. Yeah. And it, they sounded terrible. So like you have to, there's a certain point, there's a line, like you said, where, you get that threshold where the the sound becomes better. So like I'm using uh, Audio-Technica headphones. They sound really good. Do they sound as good as like a $900 pair of headphones? Probably not. But can most people tell the difference? Probably not either, right? Yeah. But audiophiles seem to be like those super tasters, right? Like when it comes to audio. <laughs> Speaking of John Syracuse. Seem to be, being the operative words. Like you'll hear a difference. Like now, like so when I when I edit the podcast, I use near field monitors. And those are made so that there's absolutely nothing that clouds the the integrity of the sound. 
And they sound way better than my Mac speakers, right? So you spent all that money just to listen to me breathing. Is essentially what you're talking <laughs> about. Yes, I, I cut that out. I, I like. I that's kill how he knows. Yeah, that's it. how he knows when. To yeah, 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 exactly. So, so I'm, I'm opening the kimono just slightly. So, uh, Aaron and I have two small kids. My wife, Aaron, and I have two small kids. Um, and occasionally, it doesn't happen often, but occasionally we'll have a grown-up beverage or two, and we'll want to listen to music exceedingly loudly which we used to do but now we can't do because we have two small children and so um what we would do is we would uh i mean i say this as though it doesn't happen anymore it happens from time to time but we'll take uh i have a home theater amplifier it's very not it's very not fancy it sounds fancy it's not fancy it's like 15 years old but anyway we plug in a headphone jack to that or you'll plug a headphone headphone thing into that have a like 15 foot extension to get to the couch from the other side of the room that's uh, that's probably way too big i'm I'm making it sound like i live in some freaking mansion with some ridiculous home theater (laughs) neither of those things are true at all but how many um, staircases in the home there are at least five no (laughs) uh but no so anyways we basically have an extension to get to the other end of the couch a splitter like this is not what an audiophile would do but i bring all this up to say we were looking to replace um i have a like 20 year old set of open air sennheiser headphones which when they were new were amazing but 20 years on don't sound too hot anymore and part of the problem with that is you know i use these that i'm wearing now which is my bear dynamic uh, dt 770s and and when you pair that with open air headphones that are you know different uh, resistance or, or impedance or whatever it's not volume equal and so what would end up happening is one of us would like blow our ears out and the other one would barely be able to hear it and the other thing like um my dad got his ears poured and got custom in-ear monitors made for himself. And when he did that, he got like a set of ultimate ears, um, which is now owned by Logitech and I think has been ruined, but at the time was amazing. And he gifted me a set of ultimate ears, uh, triple five, 10 earbuds, which when these things are seated, right, which only lasts about 14 seconds at a time when they're seated, right, it is amazing uh, but here again like if i plug those in then this is even louder than the dt 770s and so then i'm like legitimately do- giving myself ear damage and aaron's sitting there you know barely able to hear uh and so this is again a million words to say we ended up looking to get like a second set of bare dynamics and these headphones i think are like 150 bucks or something like that like they're not cheap but they're not absurdly but that's expensive not unreasonable that's, that's, for a pair that's of actually yeah. cheap yeah. for headphones basically exactly right? like, exactly and i was saying aaron okay i'll just get a duplicate of this that'll solve all our problems blah 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 and she is where i get my frugality from um and so she said no there's no way no 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 i i don't need headphones that expensive like it's fine we're just like listening to hamilton or something like that like who cares and um and so we she went on amazon and got i don't even, i have them over there i don't even remember what they are but got like this 30 or 40 dollar well reviewed but 30 or 40 dollar set of uh, pair of headphones and we got them in and we tried them out we each did like you know we knew which ones we were putting on it wasn't a true a b test but we listened to them both and she legitimately thought that you know hers sounded better and these are 40 dollars headphones and so what i what i'm driving at is that even things that are on paper like superior or better or what have you just by virtue of the music you listen to or what you like to hear may be worse. Like a great example of this actually is my dear friend, Marco Armand, who I'm on ATP with. He tends to listen to very trebly music and where, where bass isn't really that emphasized. And so for him, he's going to want a set of headphones that's extremely crisp in like the mid to high range. And if the low range isn't that impressive, like who cares? Whereas if I was listening to like 
I don't know, soul or R&B or perhaps rap on a regular basis, I would probably want to go the exact opposite direction and want a very crisp and loud and boomy bass, or maybe these terms aren't quite right, but you get the point I'm driving at, you know, have a really good bass response. And if the treble's crap, then who cares? And so I think also a lot of this is based on what your personal preference is and what the kinds of music you tend to listen to. Following that though, like I also think that like something that has become um, better over the last couple of decades is the ability to control your EQing, right? So not necessarily mm-hmm. just pairing up your headphones, but like what exactly like sound wise, range wise you are looking for out of, cause you both could have bought the same headphones and then EQed differently yeah. to get the same results, right? Mm-hmm. Or sorry, distinct results. I know what you matching mean. Yep. You're looking. Yeah. Yep. 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 Yeah. You're exactly right. And so I think it's, I, I guess the problem I have with audiophiles is that it seems like the water is so muddied because so much of it is perspective. So much of it is taste And I genuinely think a lot of it is snake oil. Like, I really don't think, especially in the digital parts of a stereo, of which, to your point, there's a lot, What it doesn't matter. Like, either the ones and zeros are going to get there or they're not, you know? (laughs) Like, you don't have to have, like, complete gold-plated whatever monster, I don't know if you monster cables are even a thing anymore, but, like... Yeah, I know what you mean. (laughs) It it, it doesn't help in the digital side. I could make an argument that, like, better balanced XLR cables going from a preamp to an amp, like, maybe you could make an argument... But once again, it's a baseline, right? Right. Yeah, it's a yep. certain point. I think I think this whole audiophile thing started what like early on in double density, where we came across an article where somebody was listening to uh, a special MP3 player, like <laughs> cost three or four thousand dollars. Yeah, of course. Mm-hmm. Yeah, using five thousand dollar headphones. At that point, like this is where the line gets crossed way over, because. In my head, when I was looking at HomePods, I'm like, wow, these are crazy expensive. Yeah. Meanwhile, like an, an audiophile like sneezes that amount mm-hmm. on like one of their speakers, yep. like not even, right? So to me, I love the sound of the HomePods. They sound really good. Recently, I think you were saying on ATP, you were looking into getting like a soundbar and uh, Marco poo-pooed that idea mm-hmm. saying you should get speakers instead. I mean, if my HomePods crapped out, and that's the that's the problem with HomePods, right, is that like there's, I don't know if you ever go like in the HomePod subreddit. No. Everybody's HomePods are exploding, basically. Oh, delightful! <laughs> but again, this is Reddit, right? So like, it's mountains out of molehills. Sure, that's not my true. My HomePods sound fine, but like, I worry if something happens to these. I like them a lot. I really like the HomePods, mm. but they discontinue them, and I yep. wonder what they're going to do with them because the HomePod Minis are okay. Mm-hmm. but they can't they're not even close to what the home pods sound like and they do sound really good especially when you're watching tv having both connected to an apple tv it's not pure atmos but i was i actually heard the difference today because i normally i'm like oh well atmos sounds like 5.1 but today i was watching lock and key and i watched the, the there's a recap those to the to the previous season mm-hmm. and the recap was in regular 4k regular 5.1 once it switched to the actual episode, it switched into Dolby Vision and Dolby oh, Atmos. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, I can definitely now tell the difference between 4K and Dolby Vision. Like I couldn't that before, but now I can. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't think I'm at that point yet, but I, I totally understand what you're driving at. Well, you, so you know where I noticed it, Casey? When I, so I have, a, I bought a Sony TV, like a very basic TV. Like it has HDR, but it's like, you know, it's not, it's not OLED. It's totally okay. Mm-hmm. It's not the best HDR, but. When I got it, I was using, I had an Apple TV. I was in the same situation as you. I had an Apple HD TV, mm-hmm. right? The mm-hmm. Apple 4K, Apple TV HD. And I was waiting for the next one because mm-hmm. I didn't want to buy a 4K because it was already three years old. Yep, 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 yep. 
so we were in the same situation basically. So I had the the HD hooked up to this. If I wanted to watch 4K content, I had to use the Android TV that came with this. Mm-hmm. It was fine, like you can see. <laughs> but I, I honestly couldn't tell the. I I'm like I can't really tell the difference. Fast forward to when was it May when the Apple TV 4K showed Something up? Like that, yeah. I could actually tell the difference. I'm like, whoa, okay, this makes a difference. I, I did not have the fiasco you had where I had HDMI cables in the wall <laughs> right. and they were the wrong ones. Right. Uh, that's another really confusing whole thing about yeah, this. I, yes. I ordered like the newest, I knew ordered the HDMI cables I knew would work, plugged them in. 4K? Gold-plated? No, no, not even. <laughs> just Amazon Basics. They were like totally fine. And But I, I plugged them in and I said, oh, I can actually see the bright parts brighter, the dark parts sure, darker. Sure. Yeah, you have to adjust it properly too. Mm-hmm. I made the mistake, Angela, related. So right now, um, sorry to derail you, but your discussion of uh, Reddit making a mountain out of a molehill, I googled 4chan audio files, and let me tell you, oh not a good idea. Oh, not, that does not, not a good sound idea. smart. There is oh a thread my. from 2015 that has a lot of slurs in here all about... Please do not uh, add it to the show notes. Do yes, not add it to the show no, notes. I've added nothing but that in screen caps <laughs> of all of their adult uh, ads to... Um, anyways, Excellent. that is a thing that exists. <laughs> So Neat. I'm just curious to see. But but yeah, all that to say, like you were saying, Casey, it's it, there's a certain line, right? Like we We're not unreasonable people. No, no, that's it. It's just I I feel it becomes unreasonable in certain domains when people are losing it like crazy when Apple like didn't put lossless on the home pods and they, they have added it as of yesterday, actually. Oh, I didn't know that. But does it matter? Does it, it does not matter. I cannot tell the difference uh, at all. Maybe because I have like 44-year-old ears. But I really cannot hear the difference between lossless and lossy good MP3s. So and I, I think th- that's the other touchy part here, right? Is because it's so much a lived experience. And I agree with you that I think any average listener with average ears would not be able to tell the difference. But I don't doubt that there are some people with, you know, incredible sure. hearing oh, sure. that absolutely sure. could hear it. And the other thing I, I try to challenge myself with is that even though I think we're all mostly on the same page here and that, you know, the cables between the digital components and like, you don't need gold-plated Ethernet cables for the love of God. Yeah. Like, you, you'll you be fine with Wi-Fi or your... Don't your say regular. those things because ISPs will pick up that idea and run with it. <laughs> You're right. You're very right. But, um, but you know, I, I think there, there are times when it makes sense, but... But the other thing is, if somehow the placebo of a gold-plated uh, HDMI or, or Ethernet cable has somehow convinced you that it sounds better, what it, what's the difference between it legitimately being measurably better and you legitimately, in your heart, thinking it's better? You know what I mean? Like, you could argue my love of vinyl, and I do genuinely think if you can look aside from the, you know, the pops and the hisses... I really genuinely believe in my heart that it does legitimately sound better than an equivalent CD. I would bet you that the data says that I'm wrong, or if there's a difference that I'm not physically capable of hearing it. You are not wrong based on the fact that the way the grooves are inserted in an analog manner is much more open Mm -hmm. uh, in terms of the actual whole spectrum versus uh, when it becomes encoded digitally, there's like obviously some gating there, right? So Mm -hmm. I, I would push back on the idea that you are wrong. You're actually right. <laughs> well, I'll take that. I, I, hashtag case was right. Uh, but but uh, one way or another, like I, I, what I'm saying is, is let's suppose for the sake of conversation that I was dead wrong. Like unequivocally, the digital version is one-to-one, which it isn't, but it's let's say it's one-to-one equivalent to what's in the grooves in the record. 
if I think it sounds better, then, then screw it. it. To me, it legitimately does sound better. Is that factually accurate for any other human being on the planet? Well, perhaps not. But for me, it's better. It's a placebo, but it's better. Is it a placebo? Like, let me posit this one in that case then. Um, and because I agree with you, I love throwing on a vinyl record, right? But every 20 minutes, you have to get up and change it. <laughs> no, but like, I mean, so let me like continue is that like, it becomes a ritual. You are much more of an active participant in that yep, case. Yes. So you're much more invested in the process of listening versus, and I, Angela, I've talked about this, the flat nature of jumping onto a streaming service, picking something and walking away, right? So I think that like, maybe part of your enjoyment just comes from the fact that you have to engage with it in a different way than you do with modern music. Even with the CD, a CD is 79 minutes and 58 seconds, right? So you can throw it on for an hour and a half almost and like walk away from it versus like, this demands your attention, therefore mm-hmm. it is worth your time and worth your enjoyment. I, I, th- I think this comes also to like where I come from with listening to music. I'm not a playlist person. Like I, when I'm listening to music, you know, my HomePods, I don't ask Siri because she never gets it right. But I, I, I go on my iPhone and I select the, the speaker I want to listen to and I go into Apple Music and I use that. And I, I'm talking to two Spotify users here, I believe. Right? Well-ish. Uh, I, I, I genuinely <laughs> think that Spotify is just light years better than Apple Music, but I'm trying to wean myself off Spotify so I can stop paying for it and it's not been successful. For a second, I thought I was going to say, he's actually a YouTube compilation man. <laughs> no. no, but it's it's funny you it's funny you bring it up though because I over the last I don't know year or so I've amassed um I call it a funk playlist it's probably soul by any strict definition of it but it's you know a lot of Motown basically and one thing that I do like about streaming music or, you know, having your own music collection is that I have this, you know, probably 50 song uh playlist which is, if I may say so, freaking phenomenal. And you're not going to get 50 different artists on one piece of vinyl. You know, even if you have, you know, uh, I guess you could do it off, you know, seven different records. But to your point earlier, you know, like it's a very involved thing, whereas it is genuinely nice to put on my Funk It Up playlist and just let that thing run for like an hour and a half. And I get these absolute killer songs that almost any human would enjoy. And there's a time and a place for everything, right? And in the same way, I think there's a time and a place for having balanced, really good cables. And that time and the place is not Ethernet, it's not HDMI, but it might be XLR from a preamp to an amp. It might be from your amp to your speakers. Then, yeah, let's talk about how those cables may legitimately at that point make a difference. I I think it it only becomes a a problem when people need to mortgage their houses to buy their $40,000 speakers, right? Right. Or, you know, you're spending $5,000 on an MP3 player that makes mm, sort of like hefty claims about things. uh, My dark brain now wants to create and infiltrate the audiophile space with NFTs. Because there's money, (laughs) right? So let's just, let's just exploit that. Let's do a couple of pump and dumps and see where it goes. Right. Yeah. Perfect. Golly. You heard it here first. Yeah. Uh, uh, do not steal my plan, anyone. Copyright, et cetera, et cetera. Obviously, me saying copyright out loud covers that, me yeah, legally. That, that's all you need. So, exactly. Yeah. Um, I think Quebec law covers that, Brian. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. We have, we have different laws here. Local jurisdiction. Yeah, no one else knows that. Yeah. Um, Casey, before you're mentioning the, uh, the dissonance of uh, understanding uh, or not understanding how someone cannot believe in the, the science of vaccines, and uh, this is something we've talked about since pretty much the pandemic started, and I know that like, you are very hot 
when it comes to talking about these things and yeah, science denial and just sadness in general in the current state of yeah. affairs. And I've realized in thinking about this and ruminating, I realized that like we are all under the false, uh, false assumption of a shared reality, right? I think that like we all want to believe that we partake in the same experiences and intersect in like um, significant, meaningful ways. But the more I spend time talking to um, certain subsets of people, the more I'm realizing that like reality is a very, very, very subjective journey. So as I have you know, gotten older, I've realized that everything has a perspective. The headline news that I watch has a perspective. New York Times has a perspective. Fox News has a perspective. And I think it's important to understand that, even if I would argue that there are some perspectives that are more in line with reality than others. Everything has perspective. And that perspective influences your perspective, right? Like, for a long time... Uh, before the kids were old enough to realize what was going on on the TV, I would spend at least one morning a week watching Fox and Friends, which is their morning show on Fox News. And I hate watched it. And then I hated myself for watching it. But I felt like it was important to see what was being pushed into the brains of people who really genuinely like Fox News. And it was just as terrible as I thought it would be. But it was fascinating to watch. And I think it's it's a very troubling thing that I, and I can't speak for Canada, but that America has landed on where it's hard to trust institutions anymore. And even someone who believes in the institution of the United States government, like me, I find it harder than ever to believe that the CDC, the Center for Disease Control, the FDA, the Federal, or Federal Drug Administration, I think it is, um, basically they're the two groups in charge of vaccines. It's hard not to think that there is political perspective there as well. And so even as someone who thinks that the science is sound, and I believe it is, as someone who is married to a biologist who has said the science is sound because she thinks it is, um, it's still, it's hard not to wonder, like, is there politics in this? Is there, like, in, in, in whether or not the vaccines are sound, is there politics in that that I'm not recognizing? And when you start questioning the CDC, when you start questioning the FDA, when you start questioning the Canadian equivalents thereof, when you start questioning your own government, and you, you start questioning, you know, Dr. Fauci as to what, how much of what he says is politically motivated, and, and in my opinion, you know, I don't really question it much, and I don't question Fauci much, but it's, as of a couple of years ago, like, I'm starting to wonder about these things. Um, it, it makes it hard to take a hardline stance on anything because I am not a biologist. I haven't been in the lab seeing these things work. Like how, how, how deep can you dig until you feel like this is enough that I've satisfied what is really and truly, and, and I've figured out what is really and truly factual. Um, with all of that caveat said, like that's what, that's what I was driving at earlier with like audio files. Like or, I, I, I feel like, it, it, you could easily paint a picture that seems scientifically reasonable that vinyl is garbage. You could paint a picture that seems scientifically reasonable that you cannot hear anything in between the steps of a sampled piece of audio. And so I can understand to a degree how someone could say, well, this vaccine is dangerous or this vaccine isn't all it's cracked up to be or what have you. But the more I dig it, the deeper I dig into the science behind it as a non-biologist, it seems so unabashedly clear that that's all bull. Like, it's, it's, the vaccines are miracles. They're great. This technology has been in development for like 20 years. Now, granted, we haven't had an occasion to use it in the same manner that we have now, but it's not new tech. We didn't rush it out at like everyone fears that we did. And, 
and all, and ultimately like if I have the choice between just rolling the dice and saying, well, I hope my immune system's all right, or even worse, I hope your immune system is all right. You know, if I have the choice between rolling the dice or just getting a couple of friggin' shots and just hoping that that helps a little bit, like, why would I not do that? Why wouldn't I do that for you guys? Why wouldn't I do that for my kids? Why wouldn't I do that for the old people near me? Like, why wouldn't I stay home when I'm supposed to? Why wouldn't I get the shot that I'm supposed to get? And it just seems downright selfish not to. And that's kind of where I've landed. Well, firstly, Casey, thank you for getting the shot for us. Like, very appreciated. I'm glad that you were here sharing a space with me. Um, And it's something that I've also done a bunch of thinking about over the last, like, five years or six years now. And it's something where I've realized, like, the anecdotal has become empirical, right? So, like, I also subscribe to the, the know your enemy concept of, like, like, I hate follow a bunch of people on Twitter that I don't like myself following for, but it's because I want to understand. And when you have all these talking heads that show up, all these people who have singular lived experiences that are very, very much embellished in their stories, yep. and then people take that and treat that as, like, proper news instead of treating that as a version of events that happen about one specific thing, then it becomes very dangerous, which is why things like, you know, stop the steal January 6th, like anecdotal evidence of people seeing ballots disappear in the middle of the night, never to be found like things like that. It just, it's not empirically true yet. People want to believe that narrative because someone told them that Mm -hmm. and that they see themselves. Yeah. Their friends saw it. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's so tough. And it's, it's also been a particularly difficult struggle for me because, um, without airing too much dirty laundry, like, you know, in, in my family, we are mostly all on the same page with regard to safety and threat and threat thresholds and things like that. On Aaron's side of the family, there is, we see far less eye to eye. Uh, and that has created immense amounts of strife internal to the family, like not internal to Aaron and me and the kids, but internal to the broader family. And that has been extremely difficult because I don't think either either group has a lot of tolerance for the other. I, I have very little tolerance for someone who feels like science is debatable. And, you know, in the same breath, I'll also tell you that, well, you know, you do have to, to, to some degree, science is politics, politics is science. But, um, but for the most part, I think science is about as undebatable as you can possibly get. Um, but they would tell you that I'm just being brainwashed by mainstream media and I'm just another sheep that's following what I'm, you know, just doing what I'm told and I'm not thinking critically for myself. And they believe it just as strongly as I. And on the one hand, like the, the, the empathetic person in me says, well, what makes me right and them wrong? And then I remember, Oh, science, (laughs) but, uh, but you know, it's just, it's tough. And it's, it's, I'm, I'm still raw about the whole thing. And I'm, and I'm frustrated. And now I'm not that I'm the only one by any stretch of the imagination. And like, none of my family has gotten COVID yet. Like, again, this is, this, this is the most podcasty podcast I've ever done. It's me complaining about things that I don't really justify complaint, but, um, but no, it's, it's, it's extremely tough because all I want in the world is for my family, my family, Aaron's family, everyone's families to be able to see each other again and hug each other again. And based on the choices of both sides of the family, it's not really possible at our current mm-hmm. thresh, th- threat threshold at this time. And I guess we could throw caution to the wind and say, well, screw it. Aaron and I are vaccinated. We should be fine, right? But we're still worried about mm-hmm. our kids. And yeah, the data says that our kids shouldn't be an issue. The data says that driving to visit my parents 45 minutes from here is in many ways more risky than them getting COVID, than, than my kids getting COVID, not my parents, but my kids getting COVID. But... I don't know, maybe it's some cost fallacy, but I mean, we've done a year and a half, almost two years of 
trying to do what's right, of trying to be safe, of trying to be respectful. And it seems silly to give it up now. And it seems silly to just say, well, screw it. If it happens, it happens, especially what with, you know, here in the States, Declan should be my, my son who's uh, turning seven on a couple of days. Um, it should be, he should be able to get his shots in just a few weeks. So like we're right on the edge. We're almost there. We've got Declan and then my daughter, Michaela, who is only turning four in January. So it might be a little longer for her, but on the flip side, like she's so young, it shouldn't be an issue. Even if she, God forbid, did catch it. So I feel like we're almost there. We're so close. And I just want, I just want people to respect each other, man. Like I, I, it, it drives me absolutely bonkers and I'm trying so hard not to swear. So you don't have to make like (laughs) 7,000 edits, but it drives me bonkers when I'll walk into an establishment and I don't know what it's like in, in Canada, but I'll walk into an establishment where it says clearly in a big piece of paper, like, yes, we understand the law says that you don't have to wear a mask, but please wear a mask. And you look around and all these numbnuts are, are there mask free. And it's like, you're not just putting yourself at risk. You're putting me at risk, you jerk. Like that yeah. you're putting granted I'm vaccinated, like it should be fine, knock on wood. But you're putting me at risk. And what about my kids who can't get be, vaccinated? Though. Like you're putting them at risk. What makes you so yeah. selfish? What kind of what kind of person are you? I'm trying so hard here, guys. What kind of person are you that you get to decide what's better, what's what's okay for my family? It's like secondhand smoke. Like, get that nonsense out of here. Like, if you want to smoke, go stand a hundred feet from the nearest entrance and do it over there. Don't do it near me. I don't want your freaking tobacco. I don't want your cancer stick floating over to me. If you want to smoke, fine. Do it somewhere else. If you want to ride a motorcycle without a helmet, fine. But don't go to the hospital that I have to pay for, ish, kind of, hashtag America. Uh, you know, don't go to my, the hospital that I'm funding to clean up your mess. Like if you want to ride a motorcycle without a helmet, fine, but ain't nobody going to be picking you up with a sponge after you crash it. So I don't know. It's, am I libertarian at heart? I don't even know what it is anymore. I'm a mess. No, I don't think you are, but <laughs> you brought up a good point in that it, it's hard to kind of like, you have to kind of put yourself in the other person's shoes because it's, you're not going to win an argument with somebody, right? With, with this type of deal, because you end up with what's called the backfire effect, right? Because no matter what point you prove, it's going to entrench them further in the point you believe. Like Brian and I deal with this all the time, especially with like UFO people. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, know, yeah, like, yeah, 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 yeah. All, all those, they're, they're the worst, right? Like, but <laughs> uh, yeah, like UFO Twitter is going to listen to this episode and lose it on us, Brian. But I can't wait. Can, At double underscore density on Twitter, let us know. <laughs> yeah, but, but they, they can be very difficult to deal with yeah, because, yeah, yeah. you know, something's clearly Venus, but no, it's not, mm-hmm. right? Because, it's it has to be you it has to be aliens it always has to be goddamn aliens but with this thing you know we're talking about health we're talking about science and you have to you have to try and approach somebody with almost with kid gloves and say well, so why is the news source i'm looking at wrong whereas the one you're looking at correct but they're also the ones that we're saying the election was stolen. Right. They're also the ones saying that the earth is flat. They're also the, you know, like all these things that, like, like it's all, like arguing with a flat earther, like yeah. it's bonkers, but you will inevitably end up making them believe their point more. Yeah. Yep. So it becomes the same thing with these vaccines. Now, Brian and I are, are lucky living in Quebec. Quebec was like one of the first places in North America to force an indoor mask policy, and we still have it. So, like, you cannot go anywhere here indoors in a public space and not wear a mask. Well, uh, and, asterisk, if you go to a sit-down restaurant and things like that, you're allowed to take your mask yes, off. Yes, sure, okay. sure. Yeah, well, obviously, because you're not shoving food into the mask. But 
Certain things like and and Quebec got hit really hard right at the beginning, mainly because of our old age homes, which were government run and poorly at that, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. And there were a lot of deaths with that. But in terms of vaccine hesitancy here, we still have our people, but we are now of people that can be vaccinated. I think we're over ninety oh. percent first dose and eighty six percent second dose. And the numbers you see of people going into the hospital and into the emergency rooms and into intensive care are very clearly elevated when it comes to non-vaccinated. Yeah. But the people that don't like vaccines will argue, but look at all the look at all the vaccinated people. And then you have to explain the whole thing about how math works. Yep, and yep, yep, yep. if like 90% of the population is vaccinated and 10% aren't, why are the numbers the reverse? Right, mm-hmm. then they'll say, "Well, the government lies about those numbers right. and all." So there's a it becomes a circular a circular argument, unfortunately, and you can't do anything about it. And to save friendships, you have to kind of just say, "I understand," and that's it. And you know, I have friends that are dealing with with families not agreeing. Luckily for me, like both my wife's family and my family, were there. They're totally on board with this. I know Brian hasn't really been dealing with close family members not wanting the vaccine. Not like wanting. That. So I don't want to talk about this too much, but my sister has a medical issue. So she was only able to get one dose and then had to deal with the repercussions of the dose. So she actually has to get clearance from a number of specialists That's totally getting number two. That's yeah. very different. Yep. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. But the thing is, there is a want and a desire to get it. Right, exactly. And yes, so that's, thankfully, that's everyone else in my immediate circle of, of family, friends and family has had it. So in so, so in your yeah. commie Canada, I like the alliteration there, is is are, are you forcing people to get vaccines? Like So yes, in a certain way. So basically the Premier of Quebec has come out and said by a certain amount, all of the uh, healthcare workers need to be double vaccinated or they will be placed on unpaid leave. Oh, no, no. For the record, I, I, I wasn't trying to imply that Canada is communist. I mean, like in Brian specifically, if you're king of Canada and oh. you're in your, you're making, you're calling all the shots, then what would you, what would you do in your perfect world? Well, you know, re-education camps, obviously. <laughs> like, put all the, put all the conspiracy people together and just like Let have them, them talk it out. Speaking amongst of Squid themselves. Game, right? yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, like once again, like I've seen both approaches. I've seen the tough approach and the soft approach in terms of dealing with vaccine hesitancy, and a lot of it is misinformation because once you start talking to someone, and, and I had one instance of this, trying to explain to them the amount of buy-in needed for this to be a real conspiracy, it's just like insane because it trickles yeah. down to the macro, it trickles down to ER doctors, it trickles down to nurses, all I'll having to buy. Them to the same fallacy of being paid off by some cabal to push an agenda like it's not just a media ecosystem it's lived experiences by professionals like you were saying that like there is a biologist in your family and the biologist says guess what this is the real deal better getting it than not yep to how me, much money how much money is aaron getting from pfizer oh you have no idea it's so much that's why i could afford a five thousand <laughs> 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 no i i totally agree with you like it's uh, it's just, it's so frustrating because it, I, I look, I, I feel like the people who are denying the efficacy of vaccines and, and they're saying it's conspiracy or denying that COVID is even a thing, or it's more, I'm denying it's more than just a flu. I feel like th- this is as explicable to me as them looking me in the eye and saying that sky is purple. And it's not like sunrise or day, it's noon and that sky is purple. It's a clear day. That sky is purple. No, it's blue. It's open your fucker friggin' eyes. It's blue. Like I'm <laughs> looking at it. It's blue. No, it's purple. Why is it purple? Cause the news said so it's blue. Like it, it's, it's, it, I, I can't, it's so hard for me to understand how there's a debate here. And 
you know, I, 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 well, I trace this back to two simple words that I think you'll agree with me. The concept of manifest destiny has poisoned America throughout the last, uh, what, like, uh, 300 years, let's say, 200 yeah, years, right, 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 right at this point, right? Uh, so yeah. I, I, I do feel unfortunate that, like, no matter how you try to reason with someone, if they cannot be brought out of that bubble of, like, self-reinforcement, then we're continually, as Angela was saying, like, in this circular mode of, like, dealing with fallacy covering for fallacy. And it's like a house of cards that, like, until you end up in the hospital and you're intubated, it's not going to change much. Yep. Uh, or until you steal a, a an ICU or an emergency or an ER bed destined for someone in a car accident. So, and then that's what happens, right? There was that slew of... um right-wing talk show hosts that all died of COVID. Yep, and yep. that in and of itself turned into conspiracy, especially when they were sick and they were saying, you know, I should have gotten vaccine. It's like, oh, they got paid off and now they're getting killed for it. <laughs> like It's like they're, they're shutting them down so that they can't spread the news of it. When, when Trump ended up getting it, and like, he's like, see, I survived. Yes, because you had the best medical care mm-hmm. in the world. Yep, it's like so true. You, it's not the same as some poor guy in like the middle of New York City who gets sick right. and can't get any health. Care. I was gonna say even worse than that, like somewhere in like rural Tennessee, let's say. Yep, right? yep, yeah, yep. well, it's, yeah. Tennessee's hu- a huge uh, hotbed of, of like COVID issues, right? As far as I, I was reading the other day, so like for example, like someone more rural who only has like limited sources of information treats everything as empirical. Yep, you know there. It's funny too because I read. God, I'm trying to find it. Um, I read this unbelievable uh, walkthrough of how the vaccines work from the perspective of like a computer scientist. And that's basically, you know, my education. I, yes, I've seen that. It was like a long form piece mm-hmm, that sort of like mm-hmm. went through all the different steps. Yeah, yes. I, I keep, I felt like I saved the, the link somewhere and for the life of me, I can't find it. And I've already asked on Twitter about it like three different times. So I'm going to try to look through my own <laughs> tweets and try to dig it up. But uh, now it, here again, like I'm in this, I'm in this weird place where I'm like questioning everything I read everywhere, no matter what. But if you take what this person says is factual, which I think I do, like it's extremely clear exactly what's happening, exactly how the vaccines work, exactly what they're doing. And, and it's, it's a long read, but even as someone who doesn't have a computer science background, like I think you could understand if you're a reasonably intelligent person that can understand basics of biology, biology and basics of like computer programming, you could understand this and it's an incredible read. Like I strongly encourage all of your listeners if they have like 20 minutes to, to take a look at this and see if you can make heads or tails of it. Because upon reading that and also watching, you know, several YouTube videos, which sounds terrible because I mean, what makes my YouTube videos better There's than anyone else's YouTube but, videos out but there, there are good ones. Um, you know, having looked into this as much as I can myself without reading like actual white papers, it seems so un- unbelievably clear that there's legitimate science behind how these work and why they work and what they're doing. And it's just so frustrating that people would rather listen to, you know, Tucker Carlson say that they're, we're all going to die because of the vaccines than actually do a little research themselves. It's funny to say Tucker Carlson because he also is uh, like intersecting with the UFO world because he has like a, like an online only UFO series that I refuse to watch. Oh, I did not know that. I bet that's a yes. absolute disaster. <sighs> yes. So, and you, you, See, the the thing that makes me go crazy is when you mention, oh, I've looked at this, I looked at that, and you're, the answer you get is do your own research. Right. The the do your own research thing, there's a funny Halloween pumpkin meme going around. I don't know if you saw it, but mm. it's 
there's three pumpkins on a porch that have a mask on and one that's oh yes 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 i did see this yes and it's like one of these pumpkins did its own research and that's how i feel sometimes it's just frustrating that the problem with the virus is that the person that did their own research and gets sick can give it to you and that's and then they'll prove the point but you're vaccinated who cares but the vaccine's not 100 percent effective no vaccine is the the reason they're effective is because if everybody gets them, they don't pass it on to others. That's I mean, that's, it's, the, that's thing the whole that, thing is that like that is any agreement that you make is a society, right? And mm-hmm. the thing is that like it's an all or nothing mentality in terms of like, well, if I get sick, I die. It's like no, like a vaccine reduces your chances of dying. Like you're not saying that you're not going to catch it any less. What we're saying is that like the way in which your body will react to it will be vastly different and vastly better. Yeah. And it's funny too, as I've said many, many times in many, many places, if, if, if Corona was like a really crappy flu, like if that's legitimately all it was, like, I'm not trying to get political about this. Let's just say for, for fact, it was the worst flu that any of us have ever had, but we're not going to die from it. I would be like, sign me up. Let's just get it over with. Like I'll, I'll book out a week of time, two weeks of time, and I'll be laid up for two weeks and I'll watch stupid Tiger King over and over or something and I'll just get through it. But the problem is nobody knows. Like we don't know for the kids, like in the same sense that like the kids, they should be fine. The kids should be all right, but you don't really know. And I, I guess, and I've been thinking about this a lot recently. I kind of brought this up earlier. Like, you know, me getting in the car to drive 45 minutes to visit my parents is risky, is inherently risky. And you could make an argument, and I, I don't know the math here, so I'm, I'm talking out of turn, but you could make an argument that me putting the kids in the car with me and driving those 45 minutes each way is arguably more risky than them contracting COVID. I'm not saying that is fact. I'm saying I've read some arguments that this is true. I'm not standing behind this at all. But the difference to me is that I don't, I feel like getting in a car and going places is kind of in the place I live anyway, part of living a life. You know what I mean? And Mm -hmm. I don't feel like that's negotiable. Whereas it is negotiable getting two inches away from family members that aren't vaccinated and are living their lives like nothing ever happened. Like this is negotiable. I can see them outdoors. I can see them at a distance. I can see them via FaceTime or what have you. And those are things I can control. I can't, I mean, I guess I don't have to visit my parents, but at some point I'm going to have to go out and get groceries. I'm going to have to do something. And I feel like that's, that's how I'm justifying it to myself that, you know, the mm-hmm. things that we do that are, are inherently risky, I feel like are, are, are compulsory and requisite for us to live not a normal life, but a life in which we're not miserable 24 seven in contrast to going like into an in-laws house where they're again, like going out to dinner all the time or, or going out to concerts and parties with a mixed group of people. Like I don't need to do that. I can, I can accomplish the same thing in other ways. Well, I, I watched the, uh, race this weekend Mm. (laughs) and seeing the crowd of people so close together, no masks. I understand it's outside and stuff, but it it like uh, it, it it like triggered me a bit, but I don't know if people had to be vaccinated to be there or not, so I have no idea yeah. how it was working. But like it was just funny seeing the the contrast of the fans who are there and then the people who work with F one all have to wear their masks. Yep. Some of them wear them poorly. Also true. You, there's no way around it. Like we're gonna have to live our lives again. That's yeah. for sure. But the things that make it easier are wearing masks and all. And like when when this first started. Our scientists here were saying, well, the masks don't really help and stuff. So I was like, well, we don't need to wear a mask. Right. So that was my opinion. I don't need to wear a mask because the scientists say it's fine. And then they changed. I'm like, oh, they were wrong. They realized they were wrong. 
Let's change that. The problem people don't understand with science is that it likes to t- prove itself wrong. Yep. That's the whole well point. Put. Yep. And, and that's been very hard for your average American anyway to understand. Yeah. And they say, oh, but they said no masks. Now they say masks again. Well, what's the point? Like, they don't know what they're talking about. No, that's how science works. Right. Exactly. And I understand like a, a, a not amateur, not ignorant, but like a rudimentary understanding of science that makes sense. Like, why are they changing their minds? Don't they already know? Like this, they, they're scientists. They're supposed to know. And it's exactly that, that as it turns out, as you learn more, you change your opinion. And you know, what, what is the turn of phrase that you should aspire to have strong opinions held loosely or something? I think I have that right. Where, you know, you can believe something through and through balls to bones, but you should be willing to change your mind if the occasion arises and you have proof that what you've believed is incorrect. And, and so, yeah, like early on here in America, they were like, oh, you know, don't use KN95s, don't use N95s. And what they were saying was, you know, we don't want to take them from healthcare workers. But that imprinted on all Americans, even to me to some degree, like, well, just you don't need them. And it's not necessarily the truth. Like in a perfect world, we would all use these very, very high filtration masks, but we don't all have access to, you know, a new KN95 every day, like a dollar a pop or whatever they are. And so as things change and as, as we learn more, it's hard, even for someone who I like to think like myself is a pretty reasonable science minded person. It's sometimes I lose the forest for the trees and, and I, and I forget that like, Oh, you know, as a, as a silly example, like I'm going to the dentist for the first time, like a year and a half tomorrow. And up until the time they're crawling in my mouth, I'm going to have a can 95 on because I'm going to be close to somebody, you know, whereas when I was in the Apple store earlier and I wasn't really doing, I wasn't really up in anyone's space. I just had a cloth mask on because I wasn't there long and I wasn't in people's space. And honestly, I almost never go in the indoors these days anyway. So, um, and maybe that, maybe my choices are poor. I'm not saying I'm right or wrong, but it, it's funny how as things change, you know, we, all of us, including me, need to do better about rolling with those changes, learning and doing better. And, and sometimes I think I'm bad about that, too. Something else that makes us slightly different, though, too, is that apart from uh, uh, mandating masks, we also have a, a vaccine passport in order to go into certain places like restaurants and venues. Yeah, see, that we kind of have gone through the motions of that, but haven't really, it hasn't really been a thing for the most part. I, I have seen like concerts and stuff say you either need to get tested or you need to show your vaccination card um, in order to get in, which I dig a lot. But the other problem with that is like our vaccine cards are freaking pieces of cardboard. Like they're, they're garbage. And just actually, what was it yesterday, the day before uh, Apple released iOS 1501 or something like that. And you can actually add your vaccine card to health kit in Virginia is one of the States where that's supported or to wallet, excuse me. Well, I guess both actually. So Virginia is one of the places where I now have my vaccination card in wallet and I haven't ever had an occasion to show it. But at least I know, well, somewhere, oh, here it is. It's in there somewhere. There you go. So I've got my Moderna COVID-19 vaccine for me. And then there's actually an app that even I can download where you can scan this absurdly complicated QR yeah, code. Yeah, exactly. So we have the and, same thing provided by the Quebec government here. Okay, so basically yeah. it says that I'm adequately protected and it shows me a QR code that restaurants, actually in my, inst- I've been to a couple of restaurants and venues in the last, like, what, like it was instituted like uh, two months ago, two and a half months ago. Like, yeah. And every single time I've been checked, which has been really interesting. That's awesome. Yeah, it's, yeah, it, it, it's fine. And people are against it, of course because it takes away their freedom. That's yeah, the yeah, thing yeah, that yeah, drives yeah, me yeah. crazy. It's like, you're taking away my freedom. 
your freedom's not that like you know what if you don't want to go to the the, the restaurant don't go to the restaurant right. eat at home yep. it's like it's not it's not super complicated casey's showing us his awesome iphone now i'm trying Pro. to find uh, <laughs> uh yeah sorry i'm trying to find the the there's actually an app that where virginia you, has where you can scan like somebody else's qr code and i the the intention is that anyone we have that yeah so the intention i think is for people at like concert venues and restaurants and things like that but like a regular schmo can download it i could have sworn i had it downloaded but yeah well i remember the press conference where they presented it and somebody asked the health minister the question he's like i guess you could right, right if you right, want right. like you're gonna check somebody coming into your house but i can't believe you didn't check me when i came over outside angelo <laughs> did you come over when the vaccine passwords were even available i don't I think remember. so no the app no. It was was only instituted in august I no think, no it was so, yeah yeah, yeah. yeah was unfortunately no, you didn't check me though it wouldn't be surprised i wouldn't surprise me if you asked me if you asked me to pull my phone out and get checked so <laughs> <laughs> but so I, I I do think that like you know leading into this like um uh, ecosystem of like paranoia unfortunately has like unfolded in a very dramatic kind of way right because I feel like on the heels of this sort of like in the zeitgeist was you know to a certain subsection of reality all the Q stuff and especially like the Jeffrey Epstein stuff in 2019 mm-hmm. I think sort mm-hmm. of like poisons people's brains a little bit more because there is a smidgen of validity to that particular conspiracy theory that has sort of like hung in the air than I feel has like enabled people to sort of go off the deep end into uh, full COVID denialism. Yeah. Yeah. The Q stuff is crazy. And if you, there's a gr- that great documentary into the storm on HBO, uh, definitely watch that because it'll blow your mind. I don't out. know if I can, I don't know if I'm, we were talking way earlier about, you know, being in the right headspace for that sort of thing. I don't know if I'm there right now. <laughs> it's, it's not easy to watch because you see where it came from and how, it, how it was like orchestrated by basically the owners of 4chan right like that that's basically where q came from and they still deny it and it's still like there's a bit of it up in the air but it seems uh brian wouldn't you say like pretty the watkins the father ones? and son duo has from yeah from 4chan also eight cone etc etc has definitely like they've been outed pretty much to anyone who knows how to read things properly it's 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 just one single person who is screwing around and got a lot of infamy Double Density presents the sounds of your youth. Double Density. What are your thoughts on the band Fish? You know, it's it's not really for me. There are songs, uh, there are Fish songs that I enjoy. It's not really my jam, but it is a jam band without question. I, I say this because in case Brian doesn't realize uh, Casey's co-host Marco, when we were talking about the music he listens to, that's basically all he listens to, correct? Does he have like the dedicated fish app? He must. He must have the fish no, app. No, I like... don't think so. Um, no, I don't think it's all he listens to. I think it is the overwhelming majority of what he listens to. But he also, you know, this is something I've found myself being guilty of. Um, as I get older, I am starting to get more nostalgic for the music of my of my youth. And so I'm finding myself listening to the stuff I listened to in like high school and college more and more these days, which is super weird because I, I wouldn't say I was ever on like the cutting edge of music. And, and I, I, I think even when I should have known the artists that were being played on MTV, I would argue I probably didn't, but I've found a, a newly renewed fondness for the bands of my, uh, my real adolescence. And that's when I realized that I was doing it, when I realized I was playing these bands that I listened to in like high school and college a lot, it occurred to me, Oh God, you really are reaching middle age. Like this is it. This is happening. It's (laughs) happening right in front of your eyes and you don't even realize it. Earlier this afternoon, I was listening to Hootie and the Blowfish. Ah, yep, yep, yep. That's, uh, that was not my thing, but it is during my era for sure. 
Yeah, I, but I'm I like all kinds of stuff, and I, unlike most people my age, I love new music. Like mm-hmm. I'm, I I like all kinds of stuff, and Brian likes to present me with some crazy death metal that he listens to. No, I listen uh, to the, the, uh, probably the broadest spectrum of music of anyone yes, you know, Angelo. Definitely. And sometimes uh, for a, a jape, I let you in on part of that. Yeah, crazy uh, stuff. Before I forget, I'd be remiss to mention the Venn diagram of audiophiles and fish fans. Probably a full circle, almost. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's, I guess that's true, you know, because I, I, Fish got, uh, for my limited understanding of Fish's like, upbringing, um, I think they got a lot of play in the same way that Dave Matthews Band did uh, in Grateful Dead before them, uh, a lot of play off of trading tapes. And so I know, you know, at least in the Dave Matthews community, there was, there, there was and remains a lot of interest in trading, you know, recordings of shows. And, and with Fish, I think they've been much more forward thinking and, and there's, what is it, like livefish.net or something like that, where they'll put up soundboard recordings of their concerts within like three hours of them ending, whereas that, that doesn't happen with the Dave Matthews Band. And you still have a robust taper culture because they don't really release most of their concerts. And, and, and I bring this up because I think it's interesting you know whether or not you you think audiophiles in the in the context of your home audio setup are, makes any sense. I think there is something to be said for how do you take a completely noisy environment filled with 30,000 screaming people and try to get decent audio fidelity for the concert happening a hundred feet in front of you on a stage. And, you know, how do you get decent fidelity out of the loudspeakers with just microphones for a long time? It was, you know, digital audio tape. Now I'm sure it's, you know, some sort of computer setup, but how do you get a decent recording out of that? And a lot of people spend a lot of money trying to figure that out, at least in the world of Dave Matthews. I don't know. I can't speak for fish. I I, like you was I was a huge Dave Matthews band fan. Like Mm -hmm. I, loved it and their studio records are fine but live they were yep. amazing like i still think carter carter buford is one of the best drummers oh i th- i would like argue that's as factual as the vaccines being useful but that's neither here nor there um no it's funny you bring that up because uh just this week they released uh live tracks like 57 so this is the 57th live concert they've released whereas fish has probably released 57 live concerts in the last 57 days they do all um, of them yeah, yeah, so, um, yeah. but nevertheless uh this particular concert i was there in high school it was august 1st oh, wow. of 98 and uh, i was at that show and so it's i had a copy of it like a crappy taper copy of it but it's it's fascinating and and awesome to be able to listen to it in proper fidelity you know mastered off of the soundboard recordings and whatnot so it's it's pretty cool and we have must have similar taste in music because i had never heard of them until you mentioned them on a podcast i think it was mike hurley's like record oh command space i think it was yeah i don't mm-hmm. know it's like the music one he was doing i thought remember? that was command space oh maybe inquisitive no i don't remember what it, I I know what you're I quiz- it was inquisitive and i had never heard of mute math oh, until so you good. mentioned them and they're really good oh, so good that's it, another great drummer uh, yes darren king is a phenomenal drummer yes. the, the difference between he left the band though i believe well the band is mostly disbanded at this point um the difference between darren king and carter beauford though is that carter has this like ridiculous drum Crazy. kit and i know nothing about playing music I, but he has this ridiculous drum kit of like 30 drums or something like in cymbals and whatnot and darren king has like a snare and a couple of other drums and like three cymbals and, and he that's plays that. in a suit yeah and he plays often in a suit he he gaffer tapes his headphones to his head like if you've yeah. not seen mute math like a recording of a live mute math concert it's worth looking into because it, it is phenomenal angelo i can i can feed you some um but uh, they're, they're absolutely incredible live and, and something that blows my mind again as someone who is, i know nothing about playing music the only thing i can play is the stereo um and and it's, it blows my mind that in with mute math and they're not the only ones but with mute math in most concerts at some point 
that's not true of Darren, the drummer, but like the keyboardist will oftentimes play a little bit of drums. The bassist will play guitar. The guitar will play bass. The, 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 the guitarist will play bass. The guitarist will play keyboards. And they're all like doing this round Robin of all the instruments. And, and it's just fascinating. See, like a, another example of this, and I don't know if Brian, you're going to judge me for it, but like, um, I have a recording of a Godsmack concert i think it was godsmack where oh, the like so if you visit my uh twitter timeline i did a 23 tweet thread about limbiscuit hidden gems like right before recording okay instead of go. preparing for this podcast like listen like i also uh ascribe to the idea of the concept of guilty pleasures doesn't exist oh i, I can get behind that i can absolutely get behind that yep and so i would i bring the, the i was saying a second ago that like with godsmack the, the lead singer like is a phenomenal drummer who knew and so like the, there's this drum off that there's probably i don't know if it's a common thing i'm not i don't it dislike is a very God. common thing yeah i've okay. seen them twice and okay. they yeah so are they are they incredible live because they strike me as though they would yes. be incredible live. yes so like okay so um male chauvinism on full display uh i will own the fact that like and also these were part of festivals so i didn't like explicitly spend money on it but th- so like sully the singer will be like yelling mm-hmm. for women to bear their breasts not very uncomfortable but like the the drum ops that mm-hmm. i've seen both times were very enjoyable at least so on that end i appreciated the musicmanship not so much the yeah. the inherent showmanship of of seeing gospel life well and and one thing before uh, about uh, dave matthews band and, and carter Wilford. i when i was in a band like we used to love them and stuff and my drummer explained to me why he's so good and that's because he plays left-handed on a right-handed set. So instead of playing with one hand over the other, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. he has his one hand there and he has everything open in front of him to like just do whatever the hell he wants with his right hand. So it's kind of like the the drumming equivalent of Hendrix then, right? Or Seal. Like I think Seal tuned his guitar like upside down and backwards just like Hendrix did if I'm not mistaken. But um, Did Hendrix actually keep it upside down? Like I think he just flipped it, but he... I don't know, actually. Brian, do you know? Like if I Hendrix know. kept the string. Uh, I'm probably lying to you unintentionally, but I, I believe... <laughs> he I be- did play a left-handed... He played a right-handed guitar left-handed. Right. That's for sure. And I thought the bass strings were at the bottom rather oh, than... I, but I'm, I can, I'm not I should confident. know this. I'm a horrible musician. <laughs> Look, and I have two guitars on my wall behind right, me. Right. But I, I should... I, I'm not so confident like I'm right about this, but I think Angela, are they even the tuned? Yeah, <laughs> they're tuned. Yes, yeah, yeah. Okay. I played. I All plugged right. them in the other day because I moved my my. What do you no- like? I, I know that you noodle on the keyboard. Well, like, what do you noodle on when you play guitar? I just like blues and stuff like that. And I'm not. I'm. A, I'm an okay guitarist. I'm a significantly better uh, piano player. Whatever. I I, st- I enjoy playing music. I it's fun. It's just. Uh, it's not something like I'll I'll do professionally or anything. But you've had, you had aspirations at one point to do that, right? I well, yeah. I was in bands and stuff, and then I realized how much I hate being in bands. Yeah. So it's the minutia like, of it. Oh my god, <laughs> it's like the worst. But now I'm I'm happy having like you know ever since I set up this office last year, like when we last spoke, Casey, like I was in my living room. Oh okay. And this mm-hmm. was a bedroom, mm-hmm. right? So like now, once like the first summer of uh, working from home hit my wife who's home eight, seven, eight weeks in the summer because she's a teacher. Yep, yep, yep. She's like, I cannot have you here <laughs> all summer. <laughs> you need to go so elsewhere. I got, yeah, so I went to the basement and I set up this room and it's it's great. I have my all my hobbies, my podcasting, my keyboard in there. If you look in the corner, mm-hmm. I have my magic books and decks of cards and stuff so I can do magic tricks. Yet you've written no new music for the podcast. That's very interesting <laughs> no, to me. But I've learned a few magic moves, so there. Yes, I know, and we've talked about those. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it drives Brian crazy. Well, no, because there's a moment in time where Angela would bring up the fact that he practices uh, magic on a weekly basis on the podcast, and it was very irritable. <laughs> 
Well, I think this is a good place to, to go because we're like disintegrating into magic. <laughs> An air, talk, but... Airing of grievances amongst right. each other. Yeah. Well, wait, so that's what I've done he, for the last two hours. Was that not the yeah. point? <laughs> <laughs> you you can't do it on your other podcast, right? Because like yeah. you you you'd make too many people go crazy. But I think on this one, you can let loose. Well, I appreciate you giving me the opportunity, and hopefully, I didn't ruin your show. And if if I did, it'll be another yes, couple of years. You did <laughs> deleted yeah, right? removed. Yeah, it, it wouldn't be the first time. Don't worry about it. Uh, Casey, Angela, and I know where to find you on the internet, but like if our listeners, this is their first time listening to you, if they haven't gone back to the archives and listened to the first episode, where mm-hmm. can people find you? Sure. So uh, you can find my website, which I don't write on that often anymore, but that's CaseyList.com. I'm on Twitter at CaseyList, uh, Instagram at CaseyList. But you, if you know me at all, you know me from my two podcasts, Analog with Mike Hurley on the Relay FM uh, podcasting network, uh, where we kind of talk about our lives. It's, I have, it's been years and I still haven't come up with a good elevator pitch for analog. Uh, and then, uh, the, the other podcast I do is with my friends, Marco Armand and John Syracuse. That's called the accidental Te- tech podcast or ATP, which you can find at atp.fm. And actually, as we record this, uh, the one that we, the, the most recent ATP whose number I don't have in front of me, but I believe you referred to it earlier. I think it's like 458. Um, 453 is what I said. I definitely said that the first time. You misheard me. Uh, but anyway, 453, uh, that was one of my favorite episodes of ATP we've done in a long time. It was really good. Uh, well, thank you. And uh, that's, a, that's a pretty good place to jump in if you're interested. So ATP.FM or Casey List, basically anywhere. That, that episode does give a good glimpse into the three personalities. <laughs> I think you're probably right. I, I always feel like, you know, Casey's like the everyman, like keeping it all together. And then Marco is like the guy who will whatever i'll just throw the money at it right. and it's fine it'll get fixed and then john we mentioned earlier he's he's a, he's an enigma right like yes. he's just he's he's just interesting he's a, he's a nerd's nerd he is a, absolutely a nerd's nerd uh, without question uh it's he's so much a nerd's nerd that on the very very frustratingly rare cases when he's wrong the internet will still come to his rescue and try to convince <laughs> uh, can try to convince us that that he was indeed right and this has only happened a handful of times if i'm honest but it is always hilarious to me to watch his army come for me in the rare occasion where i've put him in a corner and, and proved him wrong he's also a very good podcaster he made an episode, I don't think it was about ATP, it was on ATP, I think it was his other podcast uh, with Merlin Mann, where he made the whole event of getting a refrigerator, <laughs> like, incredibly engrossing. Yes, yes, yes. So, it's, yeah, I'll, I'll put that in the show notes if I can find it, I'm sure I'll find yeah, it. Yeah, that was Reconcilable Differences, also on Relay FM. Uh, I don't know if the name of the episode was Preparing the Way, but... Uh, I think so, I think it, it was. It was a phenomenal episode. It It is... A yeah, uh, reconcilable differences one hundred and two. Preparing the way. Okay, perfect. Um, and it it is John Syracuse at his best. He is a very unique specimen, and I mean that in a couple of the not so great ways, but ninety nine percent in the best possible way. I love that guy. I, I love both Marco John and and Mike all three of them so damn much and uh, they're all incredibly incredibly talented people that i'm just lucky like you guys that i'm just lucky to be near standing near ever thank so, you uh, the pleasure is all mine gentlemen thank you for thank you for letting me invite myself back on well, yeah of course <laughs> yeah uh, that was funny because you sent me an email saying hey are we still doing this thing <laughs> yeah because you know we, i don't like bothering people he's the worst the <laughs> he's the f- <laughs> <laughs> you got to be a little aggressive from time to time. It's and I am terrible about doing it. So you should probably, I shouldn't be throwing stones in this glass house, but every once in a while, it's not bad to be aggressive. You listen to people and you're like, Oh, they're like, but people are people, yep, right? Yep. It's absolutely. A, that is the most vague statement you've ever made on this, on this podcast. <laughs> I've been, people are people. Angela Fiorino, 2021. Uh, no, yeah, Angela, that's another, like, another area of grievances. I have to do all the handholding these days, but that's just another conversation to have.
<laughs> so I, I feel like yeah this is a true great place to end this uh for episode 170 of the double density podcast as always you can find us over on double underscore density on twitter double density uh net i recently for the first time in like three years i think threw up a blog post on there all the geocities um my awful 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 what you see is what you get 1999 uh designed uh website on there and uh, thoughts about uh, digital archiving uh, as always you can subscribe to us uh, through a myriad number of podcast apps and places and you can also find those on doubledensity.net and uh, yeah angel this has been it i you know episode 178 i will uh, probably see you next episode i think that's how this works i hope so yeah maybe we, yeah, he twi- he messaged me earlier today because we're doing a bi-weekly schedule and he goes maybe we should go weekly again and i go oh, <laughs> I about that oh, one. Goodness. i really i'm not sure about that one well, because I, I, with with analog, you went from weekly to biweekly to monthly, to monthly mm-hmm. now, right? Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, it's it's basically become an F1 show anyway, right? So. Uh, there's more truth to that than I think I care to admit. But yes, you're, you're not wrong. Well, thank you very much, gentlemen. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. And uh, hopefully we'll be able to do this again in less than two years. For sure. Thank yes. you so much, Casey, for coming on. And as I said before, tune in next week where I demand more of Angelo. See you then, Angelo. Great. Thanks, Brian.